start the show. For Thursday, August 3rd, 2017, welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Welcome uh, to uh, the podcast this week. That intro uh, music means that we are back to our regular crew. I'm Norm, and joined to me back from Pinburg Pinball uh, Convention in Pittsburgh. It's Jeremy Williams. Hello, fellas. And of course, wearing a very nice shirt um, with uh, seagulls on it. Um, it's a, it's a short sleeve button up. That's Kishore Hari. I didn't realize that you were doing your impression of the Amazon show. Oh, oh, right, yeah. or whatever that thing is called. The, the Amazon look. Amazon look. Yes, yeah. I was rating your your fashion. And I think Norm's uh, auditioning up to be the voice of the Amazon look. Or I've, I've, we've actually gone full circle because it was one of the things that Will used to do all the time on the podcast that I gave him crap about was reviewing people's attire as he introduced them. Hmm. Will did that. Will did that. Will. Will Smith. Have has Will looked at how he dresses? He, he was a fan of novelty T-shirts. Yeah, deflection. Oh, he focuses I see. on the oh, other. Okay. I see. Uh, well, you have nice T-shirts on today, too, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. I, I like the Pinberg. Yeah, this was the official Pinberg 2017 shirt designed oh, by San Francisco's own Matt Henry. Oh, nice. How was your experience there? I had it the best time. I had the time of my life. As Green Day would say, <laughs> you had the time of your life. Yeah, or Dirty Dancing, whatever, whatever you want. Um. <laughs> I brought my ten-year-old, so that made it a little different. I've been this is my third year going now. This is the world's biggest pinball tournament in history. They keep making it bigger, so I can keep saying that. I heard it was so big that even the contingent from your local San Francisco Bay Area pinball league mm-hmm. was in the dozens of people. Oh yeah, no, we usually have twenty to thirty people from the Bay Area, uh, and we had eight hundred people showed up for the entire competition. Wow! And then I mean they sold out months ago, but there's uh, so yeah everyone. Showed up, had a great time. It is amazingly well run. I, I don't know how they do this because 800 people, they have maybe 300 games just for the tournament. So it's, uh, the whole convention is a tournament-based convention. It's not like California Extreme, not free play. No, it is. It's actually more like California Extreme because oh, it, is. Okay. it is a part of a larger event called Replay FX. And if you're in the Pittsburgh area, you probably know about this already. If not, go next year because it's fantastic. Unlike California Extreme, it's not crazy crowded. You know, they have so much space. It makes mm. California Extreme look like a small venue. Not a ballroom, venue. which is, it kind of is. It's a packed ballroom. Right. This is a, a warehouse? It's, is no, a... it's a convention center. Oh, got but it. But they take over the big hall, and they open, like, actually two, and they open it up down the middle. And there's, like I said, 300, about 300 pinball games just for the tournament, which is called Pinberg. But the larger event is called Replay FX, and there's just as many pinball machines out there for people to play, as well as every video game, and bouncy houses, and live music, and uh, vendors selling all this, all these amazing, you know, wares that they've built or sourced, but you can't find anywhere else. So wares meaning modifications, toys that fit in pinball machines, 
custom. Yeah, but it's you know most of it is like eight bit stuff. It's it's mostly oh. like arcade centered. Got um, it. I think that's what people largely come for. That's the clothing you, you see there, unless they're in the pinball tournament. Uh, the, then they have the pinball stuff. I have a question about the tournament itself. Yeah. How is that run? Is it the same games that, or, or is it announced that this year's game tournament game will be this uh, that people <laughs> okay. practice on? Right. Um, so you play uh, forty four player uh, games, right? So you play uh, ten. You play yeah. So you play a lot of games. <laughs> you play forty uh, four player games. Wait, forty different machines every each day. Each day you are yeah. playing forty different pinball yes. machines. Yeah. So it's like so there is no singular. No, no, no. This is the the Counter Strike, the Team Fortress, the no Overwatch. No, no, it no. is you are the FPF master. Right. Yeah, you play every game. So it's sort wow. of yeah, and that's the one of the interesting things about pinball to me is that unlike you know most games, you not only have to know your flipper skills and know how to play pinball in general. Yeah. You d- also have to know the rule sets to all these different of games. And there could be you could have a strong games that you're going to catch them on. It's like it's a golf. Yeah. Except it's a t- instead of a 19 hole course, it is a 40 machine tournament. Well, it but yeah, well there's 300 games. But then each day like you're randomly assigned assigned um, a group and you so you know what four games you're playing for that uh, 2 hour period. But then there's like 14 hours of the day that you're playing oh pinball. God, it's an 14 endurance. 14 hours. Yeah, yeah. And then the second day you do it again, but you're in a in your division. The first mm-hmm. day decides what division you're in, A, B, C, or D. Oh. Uh, second day, you're, so you're sort of playing within your skill set the second day. How many total different machines did you play? Four, uh, 80. Because I did 40 one day and 40 the next day. 80? Yeah. You did 80 different machines. 80 you say, when you said there are th- 300 different machines. I could have played any one of them. But it's 300 at the tournament? or yeah. there are three. Exactly. I mean, there are many more than 300 total pinball no, machines. No, there's about 280 or so at this at Pinburg. Got it. Yeah. And, it, I, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't name 28 pinball machines. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, looking, probably couldn't I'm looking at Jeremy's results on Pinburg.com. He won 71 and 49 total yeah. over 120 matches. How does that yes. work? 71 so that, that's the number. That, that's the number of points I earned. So you the, the, that's the number of points. So that's the number of players that I beat, essentially, versus the number of players that who beat me. Is um, there a list of which games Jeremy played to yeah, get at there? The, at, at the bottom. What are the more rare ones? That, that... Oh, God, I, who knows? I mean, there's from all areas there. But I did very well. I, I'm, I'm very proud of myself. I Out of 800 people, I tied for 48th place. Well, top 50. Yeah, which is, like, insane. This is That's like uh, in the PUBG analog you're like top 10 top five sure even right sure out of, out of close to a, a, a thousand people i was so close I, you know i could say i was so close to actually make it into the finals round. top six percent that would have been fun i'm looking at the list of pinball games that he played i recognize three <laughs> <laughs> yes no no four five I mean, some of them are famous, like Adam's Family, really famous of course, pinball yeah, of course. Game. So when you hit a game, you know the games that are going to be in your circuit, or is that just pop up o- once you're... Often it's right at the moment you have to go play them. Wow. What's your feeling? Like, so I actually, when I went my first year, I said, this is a problem. We have to solve this. We can solve this with technology. Hey, friend Andreas, who knows how to make websites, how about you put together a website, and it's tips on how to play pinball. We'll call it Pin Tips. Sure. And you type in a pinball machine, and you see the game come up, and you tap it, and it's all these suggestions uh, submitted by people. Each suggestion has to be Twitter length. It has to be 140 characters long or shorter, and then we'll allow people to upvote them so that the more popular, more useful tips rise to the top. 
and he made it. And so that exists. And so now everybody who goes to Pinburg or any competition. They're on their phone. Yeah, exactly. And then they're using pintips.net. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm playing an amazing Spider-Man. There are two tips only. Don't shoot the center door drop targets. You you get a quick train. There you go. Wow. Yeah. And that, that's your quick primer. Yeah, because you only have a minute or two. And so walk me through your psychological experience when you... Uh, when you walk in front of a game, one that you did not recognize or never played before, mm-hmm. or two, one that you were very comfortable with, how, how do those feelings differ? Uh, usually, if I'm not comfortable with it, it um, I end up doing better because I'm not trying to do one specific thing. You know, you can hyper focus on your shot or whatever the objective is, and you just end up draining because there's all this pressure. Is there a scoring? Is there like, I mean, do you hope to then go not first because you don't want to set the bar or typically? Uh, if you have the top seeded player will have choice of position oh. when you first get there if whatever choice you have you always choose to go as late as possible of course you, you want to see what, what the scores are you and you want to see the strategies and you want to learn the game by watching other people exactly is there a little bit of smack talk no thankfully <laughs> no. not thankfully I mean <laughs> now that said as <laughs> I said I did bring my 10 year old mm-hmm. and he learned not only a lot about pinball but he learned a lot of new curse words a lot about life yes Nah. He's like, yeah. this is a side of dad I have definitely not seen <laughs> Who before. Are the characters? Not for why me, why isn't there a, a, a documentary about this? Because you could totally see like oh, yeah. the two-day pinball tournament being like a uh, Christopher Guest-style documentary with all these characters. The guy who walks in like with two pinballs and like you know using them like, uh, mm-hmm. like juggling them in his hand or whatever. Like, and the, the ups and downs. Like this, this is ripe for storytelling. Absolutely, I'm with you on that one. I'm a, I'm a big Christopher Guest fan, and I would, uh, I would. I mean, proof of that movie. They wouldn't even have to recast Billy Mitchell. No, he would just show, show up. Yeah, as you is. know, he used to be a pinball guy. Like before he won, what was it? What did he get known for? Pac Man. Pac Man. Uh, he was a pinball god. He wow. was one of the best pinball players in the world. Oh my god! So he's he's yeah. He'd be in that documentary. So who won this year's uh, Pinburg? Oh yeah, somebody I've I've never met before. His name is uh, Colin McAlpine. Congratulations to him. He walked away with a fifteen thousand dollar prize. Wow, what's the buy-in? Uh, $100, probably $200 everyone had to pay to play. Okay, but you're getting you're getting a lot of game time. Oh, yeah. You're playing almost more than 200 games. No, I mean, you got, and the amount of work that goes into running this, unbelievable. Off the chart. I mean, it's amazing. What'd you get for place 49? <laughs> Free soda? Um, I think it was like 48. I'm not, or 40, oh, 48. But it was uh, nothing. Oh. No, I oh. pride. I got Whopper points. That's your world ranking points. Right. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, congratulations Thanks. on your your high standing. You, you can you you can only go up from here. Big expectations Not next true. year. Not true. <laughs> uh, and your son enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. He wants to go back. I also uh, I heard that this was a big trip for him, um, technology wise. That's right. Yeah. No. Uh, because we would be separated at this event, I said we'll get you a phone for this weekend. Ooh. Um, but now. I think he just has a phone. What? <laughs> yeah, you got outparented I, well, he's by go- your child. He's going to middle school now, um, and so it's, there's a you know there's some reasoning for why he should have a phone as long as he can keep it in his backpack at the proper hour, not take it out. To no, you so can't, that's not going to happen. It sounds know. like he won. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, does Apple give you? I assume it was an, an iPhone. It's a four-year-old, yeah, iPhone. Uh, I assume I don't think Apple gives you the ability to have a. Turn off cellular services. Turn on third. Par- turn off third-party apps between these hours. That would be 
some type of that's why you give them child protection. That's why you give him an Android. It just does that sometimes. Right. <laughs> the apps, the apps start stop launching. No, he's over the moon about it. This is a big, big thing for him. Wow! Congratulations to you both. How'd you spend your your weekend, Kishore? I don't remember. <laughs> really? How about that? <laughs> oh, actually, I went to see it. Uh, I went to see Wonder Woman again. Oh, you uh, know what? Yeah, let's, we let's let's jump in our, our first segment then. If I we want to talk about movies. I just want to say real quick that Annalie was fantastic last week, uh, and if you didn't listen to last week's episode for any reason, go back and check it out. It was a good Comic Con discussion. I don't know, that Kishore guy wasn't that great. <laughs> Oh my god. I'll tell you later. <laughs> what? <laughs> this, is, this is the best worst tease ever. Before I play the next music, you have to tell me. You have to remind me to tell you a story. Yes, before okay. I play the next I'm gonna, okay. I'm going to put All in right. our, our notes for discussion. All right. uh, I did do a few things this weekend. I went to see a circus, um, a free circus event, and then I went to see Wonder Woman again. Mm. And I have to say... Did not enjoy it on the rewatch nearly as much. Steep decline. What 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 fell uh, flat for you the second time around? So, all the things that I was really uh, that the seeing it with like a larger crowd hmm. um, kind of energized for, like when Wonder Woman revealed her outfit coming out of. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in that one scene, the, when, the when, trench, I, the... when I saw, I'm trying not to spoil people. That's, okay. That's okay. Movie's been a trailer. I mean, it's the second highest grossing movie of the year domestically, and people have seen it. It's been, it's okay. So that oh. scene particularly fell flat second time. Yeah, because there was only like four people in the theater, mm-hmm. and it was just kind of felt cheesy. Yeah, see, that's what around. I'm saying. Yeah, I f- I'm glad. I'm glad you've seen the and light, I think my there, friend. It, like that's a movie that that definitely benefited. From the anticipation running through the crowd, and uh, and then the fight with Ares didn't look as good the second time. The fight around. with Ares, I think, universally agreed, is not fantastic. Yeah. And I didn't remember it being that kind of like gross and like the the exposition like that was happening during that fight didn't line up to like their movements and stuff. Mm. It was like they're doing voiceover over their own fight, which was a weird sort of experience. So. It's just like little things like that, but it brings up this this idea that like there's some movies like this, especially in the comic book genre, that are just better to see opening weekend because you like a full theater makes a huge difference. Watching a movie sometimes in theaters, period, makes a huge difference. That said, I did go to see Attack of the Clones with a full theater. I saw all those prequels with a full theater. Yeah, and that w- doesn't help. <laughs> and when y- <laughs> when Yoda has this fight where he starts jumping around like a frog. The whole theater erupted in laughter. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Diff- completely different experience for me. I watched really? it at the Coronet Theater back when that was around, ba- a major landmark theater in San Francisco. And when Yoda opens up his cloak yeah. and the lightsaber flies out into his hand, a uh, crowd was cheering and, like, oh right. my God, this is amazing. But he didn't start hopping yet. What? He did not start hopping yet. What I might I- have blocked out <laughs> what, the crowd reaction for when we started hopping. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think. Totally fair. Uh, I, we've watched the movie m- uh, multiple times now, Wonder Woman, and uh, mm. I, I agree. Parts of it, I would hope to have been different, but oh, I, I say that only in a sense that, um, like, no movie is perfect, and I can always come up with reasons to, to improve it, uh, but still thoroughly enjoyed. Um, 
I did a couple things over the weekend. Uh, watched a bunch of movies. I watched two movies. I watched The Big Sick, which oh, yeah. Kishore, you've seen, right? I have not seen. Not I've seen. just sort of lived it, you know? Oh, okay. I've sort of, I guess we've all kind of sort of lived it. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that was a great movie to watch in theaters as well. Um, really? And uh, it's not playing many places. I saw, I saw the Stonestown Cinema. Hmm. Yeah, the mall theater that I watched movies at when I was a kid. Every, um, everyone is recommending this film. It's... Um, it's a really good romantic comedy. There you go. Yeah, it's well written. Um, it's honest. Uh, uh, all the supporting casts are, are really funny in it. It's not mind blowing. Um, it's not like a Judd Apatow raunch comedy. It doesn't feel like, but has feels like it has a lot of the the heart. But it's also not as bogged down as some of his movies are in terms of uh, just being drawn out too long. Can I tell you guys a secret? I mean, no one no one's listening to this, right? We're okay. Nope. Secret tone okay. of silence here. Sure. I'm a massive romantic comedy fan. Ooh. Like, three of my top five movies of all time are romantic comedies. Let's hear I'm em. really into the genre. I mean, I love the When Harry Met Sally, like classic, classic romantic comedy. I even like Forget Paris, an underrated Billy Crystal romantic comedy. Happy Accidents, very good romantic comedy. Hmm. I, I can keep going. It is, my, like, looking at my Netflix, like, continue, like, Here's what we recommend are never the things we talk about on this show because it's all romantic comedy. That's okay, man. I mean, I think the appeal of those movies is they do appeal to both sexes. Fair, fair enough. And and they're also great, like adult coming of age stories. Sometimes, yeah, that you can appreciate them for different things uh, as you grow older and different points in your life. Don't you dare throw Love Actually at me, tested fans. Hate that movie. Yeah, yeah. Why do you hate that movie? It's so, much so that. overrated. So overrated. <laughs> Who takes? Like cue card signs to somebody's door to yeah. express their love. It's overly romanticized and it's in many ways not not the best way. But I, going back to the big sick, I mean, uh, everything I've heard about it is sort of twofold. It's like if you're a fan of Kumail and mm-hmm. his work, a lot of his comedy comes through because it's based off of his real love affair with his wife, Emily Gordon. Um, but everyone keeps saying Ray Romano is excellent in this he movie, and, and which Holly is such Hunter. a weird statement. Yep. Yep, everybody loves Raymond. Is great in this movie. All right. Yeah, uh, well recommended. The other movie we saw in theaters, and this is the I think people out there probably care about this a little more, is a uh, Dunkirk. So oh, I thought you were going to say Emoji Movie. No, no, nah, nah, not the Emoji Movie. Number one for two weeks in a row. Dunkirk saw an IMAX. I think it was. Uh, actually, I think it wasn't seventy millimeter in the IMAX version we saw because I think they had the digital IMAX pre roll, uh, but. Um, yeah, it, it was astounding. So, Christopher Nolan, of course. Um, I don't know if you've read any reviews of Dunkirk, but it's uh, about 1940s, uh, great evacuation of, uh, of French shores um, for British soldiers. 350,000 soldiers evacuated back to back to Britain, um, and it is. There are some interesting storytelling devices he uses in this. They're very Christopher Nolan in terms of, I don't want to spoil too much, um, in terms of like the how he messes with time a little bit. Uh, but this, he's getting closer. He's not there yet. He's getting closer. So I feel like it's his goal of shooting an entire movie with IMAX cameras. <laughs> so I have a couple questions to ask because even though it's really well-reviewed, yeah, um, it's divisive from people I've talked to. It, like Everyone gives like, it's beautiful, but it's a really hard watch. And what does that mean, hard watch? It's like like you're not going to go rewatch Dunkirk. 
Um, if it was in theaters again, I'd, I'd, it'd be one of those movies that if they played at the Castro Theater in 70 mil in five years, I would sign up for it in a heartbeat. There are oh, okay. some, so when I, when I talk about the IMAX, like he loves film, he loves shooting in IMAX, like um, from The Dark Knight, the first opening sequence, big deal, he shot that, uh, it was a big deal, I'm not saying that sarcastically, it was a big deal, he shot the whole bank heist sequence with the Joker in IMAX, and that scene looks gorgeous, but that movie, which has many scenes in IMAX from the climactic action scenes, some scenes in all, is choppy in the sense that if you watch in IMAX, even if you watch the Blu-ray, the IMAX scenes, one, fill up the whole screen, and you mm-hmm. don't get your black bars top or bottom. Oh, that's true on Blu-ray, too? And it's true yeah. on Blu-ray. They fill 16 by 9. Wow. And then IMAX is a little taller than 16 by 9, yeah. but then they give you the black bars. But also the film stock looks different. You it can does. tell IMAX is brighter, it's crisper, just the way the film is developed. Um so if you keep an eye out for it, and many times it's, just, it's, it's um, if you watch, like whether it's uh, Dark Knight or Interstellar or uh, Inception, uh, many times, I'm not even sure Inception had, had IMAX scenes in it, but uh, Interstellar for sure, like it's just, you don't notice the difference, but the times when you do notice the, the cuts, like some, in one scene, one, it'll be like this gorgeous full screen, beautiful IMAX, wide shot, and suddenly you see the black bars. And it's a little grainier, it's a little darker. And this movie, it's flipped the other way around where most of the movie is IMAX and very few scenes are shot uh, 35 mil. You watched it on an IMAX screen? And watched an IMAX screen and the 35 mil scenes stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Hmm. And it was like, what? It, makes no, it made no sense from a filming standpoint. It wasn't like this scene was hard to shoot in IMAX, hmm. uh, which it is technically IMAX Film stock only runs, you can, the cameras only record for three and a half minutes at a time, which is a long time, right? But also, they were doing the most challenging shots in this film. There's a whole story, a whole uh, plot of this film that's in the skies. Like uh, Tom Hardy is a, is a Air, uh, Air Force, British Air Force pilot, and his whole perspective is in a Spitfire airplane. Every scene with Tom Hardy is IMAX, from his face to his perspective to the dogfights, and you can look at behind-the-scenes pictures where you see real Spitfire airplanes that they brought back to fly um, that they have like basically rigged up IMAX cameras mounted on the side of the airplane looking inward, looking over the shoulder um, to, to film these scenes. Mm, crazy. But and they, they have to start those and stop them and they have every to, three minutes. They basically have to take off and land hundreds of times. Oh, my God. They take off, land. There's a, 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 they actually didn't use Spitfires for some of the scenes. They used a, a similar airplane that they redressed to look at like Spitfire, but had two seats. And so they had a director in the back with a camera operator. Are they film cameras? They're or, film They're cameras. not digital IMAX? There are, I, you know what? I'm not sure. I, there are digital IMAX cameras that do the 65 mil equivalent format. Uh-huh. I want to say this, these were still film. Crazy. Yeah. Um, and they're they're, and they have like underwater shots, night shots. But then there are scenes in this movie where like Kenneth Branagh is standing there talking to one of his colonels, and it's just a regular. It's like, did they not have the IMAX camera that day? Like, why isn't this scene shot in IMAX? It make, it made no sense to me. Yeah. That took me out of it a little bit. But if you're interested in how like how good a film can look, this is a movie to watch. Like really? practical effect wise, he used um, okay. RC miniatures for a lot of scenes. They're just some amazing, gorgeous. Like you know, IMAX used to produce films, mm-hmm. right? They, and I, I guess they still do. Yeah. More they, like documentary style. Right. They so. are totally documentary yeah. style films, and they had they did a one in on the ISS. There was an IMAX mm-hmm. camera on the. I think that one's a digital one, on the ISS that they filmed. They've done nature documentaries. The one that I love, and um, 
It's R- uh, Ring of Fire. That was my favorite. Which which one is that? That's a volcano one. Oh, I, I haven't seen that one. Um, there's one that was shot in the 90s, I want to say, and it's about an uh, Air Force pilot um, flying like an F-15 or something. Uh, and that one is all, it's like a short, you know, the, back then I think IMAX projectors could only go for like 80 minutes long, so it's like an 80-minute documentary. And uh, it's, but it had some amazing aerial footage all mm. shot with IMAX cameras. And this reminded me of that, but in a narrative storytelling, in a, in a you know, at a fictional account of a real life event. And you, just real quickly, you were saying people aren't watching this a second time because of the story. Uh, I think it's it, a combination of like it's it's a hard story, it's but difficult. it's also like uh, what I've been told is just that it, it's even though it's beautiful, it's it's that like castaway. It has castaway quiet moments that are uncomfortable. Like I don't think Schindler's List level is not what I got from this. Like mm. I can't watch this again because it's traumatic. But, um, but just that it it is not something that you're gonna just pop in. It's an intense experience designed to be such. It feels it's a it's quote unquote it's shortest his shortest film in a long time. It's only hour forty six minutes long, which is not very long. Uh, but it's tense the whole time. So you are drained by the end of it, which is like I'm looking for that sometimes when in a thrilling movie experience uh if you watch dunkirk and you like and you love the tom hardy dogfighting and aerial shots like how do they do that shot how do they this imax cameras in the sky with real airplanes the documentary i'm talking about that imax produced is called fighter pilot operation red flag and it was made in 2004 it's 50 minutes long and it's about a training exercise the air force puts on where pilots from all over i want to say the world come to do a, uh, a battle simulation and it's okay. all filmed in imax and it's super interesting well those reviews are not so dissimilar from the emoji movie reviews is it like <laughs> completely draining nine percent <laughs> rotten tomatoes or is seven six percent now oh my god shout out to betsy Bozdeck from common sense media for one of the only positive reviews this movie's ever gotten it wasn't armand white uh they let him no. review that Positive messages, but colorful adventure is only meh. <laughs> that that was considered a positive review of I that movie. It was like two point five out of four, maybe. It's that still, is. you know, it's still number two for the week under Dun- Dunkirk, and I I wouldn't be surprised if like they the, they don't care. Like the people who this movie is made for aren't writing reviews. <laughs> but I don't think it made money either. I mean, it, I mean, it, really, it. it People, I mean, people would need to go see a movie with their kids. They just go see whatever the kids' movie is, and they automatically, if you're going to watch a movie with kids, one, you get three or four times the ticket price, right? Because you're already buying multiple tickets. Exactly. And two, parents, it's still a relatively cheap way to keep your kids occupied for two to three hours. Yeah. This summer has been produced some pretty good kids' movies. So this now, I is mean, an abomination. I wouldn't call this just because there are a lot of kids' movies that are maybe I wouldn't say frivolous, but uh, at least the director, like this, seems frivolous in that they took an IP that don't even resonate with kids. But <laughs> it's just, not an IP, is it? It's brand familiarity. <laughs> the idea of an emoji is a there's a there's a recognizable brand, yeah. and um, it's the kid version equivalent of Battleship, like what the studio did. Oh, the movie Battleship. The battle, like yeah. the, in terms of like, they took an existing recognizable name for I something that. Yeah. that has no plot associated with it, and then somehow gave it a plot. Yeah, I mean, I. W- they had me at examining the family dynamics of the poop emoji, but mm. <laughs> whoa, 
Got deep. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? We went to see, I don't know. We went to see some kids movie. What was it? Captain Underpants? Ah, no, I didn't see that I one. I liked it. Storks. No, no, it was recent. Anyway, we were there, and the, we, the most exciting thing uh, was in the hallway we saw that they're making a Paddington 2. Oh. Which, I don't know if you saw the first one. I like that. Yeah. So it's very sweet. My, very charming. My young daughter, she, uh, she, when we told her about that, she's absolutely blew up. She's just so excited. Mm. She doesn't even want to, she, do, she doesn't even know what London is. She just knows she, it's London. <laughs> <laughs> as, as voiced by Paddington the Bear. Uh, I got one more movie recommendation. Uh, watch Free Fire. Which is not a kids' movie. Kids should not be watching this at all. Okay. It is a two-hour exercise in a, in a in a chaos of a gunfight. Totally I, worth it. I haven't even heard of this. Brie movie. Larson's in it. Killian oh. Murphy. Is it in a the theater? Uh, it's on a it's on demand rental. Okay. Yeah, but highly recommended. Um, the director um, Ben Wheatley, I want to say, also directed High Rise. Uh, he's upcoming Ooh, director. High Rise is good. Yeah. So this. Uh, it's, it's totally fun. Sharpo Copley is in it, and he's hilarious. Um, one more. Uh, I got uh, before we get to your two th- th- stories. You got to tell. Uh, are you guys um, Game of Thrones watchers? No. I have been watching Game of Thrones. Too much, man. Too much. Wait, can I predict something? Yes. You are not happy with the current season. I'm not. Ha- I was happy with the last episode. I was not happy with episode two. Uh, okay. Yeah, but you're no you're, spoilers. You're right. Uh, I think that uh, review wise. Uh, I like it when the show is about conversation and intense interactions and less about advancing the plot, advancing the plot, which a lot of the season has been. But we are getting close to the end of Game of Thrones, the series, and now would be a good time if you're a fan of the TV show to jump into the board game. Oh, there's a board game? So there was always the board games have been around for a long time. It's not based on it's based on the books, not the TV show. Okay. And I I played the board game uh, with Will and my housemates like four years ago, mm-hmm. and it was a ton of fun. Hmm. But we didn't know who the TV show watchers, Game of Thrones TV show watchers, didn't recognize the names of the characters because they have a lot of the, the Martells and the, mm-hmm. the, people, the characters who weren't introduced yet uh, on the show. But now at this point, since everyone has basically been introduced, it's actually a great time to revisit the board game. Uh, do you like Risk? Yeah, is it Risk, yes. basically? It's so much better than Risk. It takes about four or five hours long to play, our game took eight hours to play. What? Yeah. Did you leave with less friendships than you entered in? Totally. 100%. Okay. Then it's like risk. Yep. Uh, now, I'll, I'll give the, the one-line sell for this. It's risk, meaning like it's a game of territory and, uh, and strategy. Everyone plays a different faction. But everyone plays their moves at the same time secretly. Oh no! I hate those games. No, no, no! It totally so as opposed to I've noticed this trend with a lot of the, of the newer generation of board games where everyone's always involved. Yes, you know. And so like there will be a move round where like we're all going to make our moves, but we make our moves behind curtains, so we make decisions. But we our decisions that we individually make, we have no idea how it's going to affect your de- like your decision. And so we make these gambits. Like, do I think you're going to move? closer to my territory here or can I reallocate my resources and everyone unveils or moves at the same time and then the game plays out so that's risk with bluffing yeah which makes oh. it much more interesting which makes it more like Game of Thrones yeah it makes you want to murder each other more totally and there are ways to win the game where you can like play very slowly and slow play it 
Uh, but for, if you're a fan of the TV show and you like this last season, especially the strategic moves being made by the different houses in this most recent season, uh, you will love playing this game because you can basically do those things can, in board game form. Can you play as Targaryen, the dragon lady? You cannot play as Daenerys. No, that's yeah. just like uh, the pinball machine then. Oh, really? She's too powerful. Oh, oh interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so... Speaking of pinball. Yes, your story. Uh, uh, by the way, I went to Pinburg this past week, and my very first game, my very, very first game of my very first group, uh, this woman in my group named Evelyn, she said, are you from Tested? I said, yes, I am. And she said, my husband made the music for the technology to this week. No! What? Yeah. Holy smokes. Isn't that crazy? That is, what a, what a Wait. weird... Is that Justin, a.k.a. Speed? No. <laughs> not. That would have been funny. No, I, I believe his name is Michael. Uh, and way, like two days later, I, I caught up with her. I saw her in the hallway, and I said, hey, introduce me to your husband. I want to meet this guy. And I got to meet him, and I thanked him profusely. I said how much we like his music. Yeah. And uh, he showed me how he did it. Like, he did the vocoder thing for the technology news. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did that on the keyboard and explained his, his craft to me. That's fantastic. Yeah, small world. Now my story is not going to make as much sense. Oh, you should have gone first. Yeah, I should have gone first. I had this weird thing happen to me. I got home from Wonder Woman at like 2 in the morning from uh, the movie theater. And as I'm pulling up, there is a Uber driver like camped out in front of my next door neighbor's place. And uh, she comes out and it's an Uber Eats delivery driver, but she doesn't speak any English. She only speaks Mandarin. And it takes me a while to sort of figure this out. And by the way, it's two in the morning on a street in San Francisco. This is weird. And she's basically like, she gets to the point of, I get without any sort, I don't know Mandarin. I figure out that she's here for delivery, but can't reach the person inside the house. So she calls the number, but then I'm like, I I start talking, I can't translate back to her. So I get out Google Translate and I use the mic feature and we totally have a conversation on the street at two in the morning through the Google Translate mic. So she speaks into your phone and you can read and And then vice versa. How real time was it? Um, It was pretty good because I was in front of my house so I connected to my Wi-Fi. So it was pretty fast. It was within like three to five seconds. This is the promise of augmented reality. It was amazing. You don't have to read it. It'll speak it. Yeah, it it spoke it too, but reading it was just a little bit easier because the grammar of it is really pretty bad. It's the babblefish. Yeah. So this is what a lot of these built-in headphones, Bluetooth headphones, that do some dynamic processing of audio are promising to do, build in a babblefish feature, which I'm completely unsold by. I mean, I haven't used what they're selling, but... Conceptually, I think for all the reasons you're talking about, um, one in terms of the delay, if I'm actively engaging you in conversation and I'm trying to read your facial expressions, the tone of your voice as cues for your intention, at the same time as trying to listen audio-wise, computer voice that's then that's translating the words, I don't think that's going to make it for an effective conversation as opposed to hearing you and then seeing the words and reading them in my head and then matching those two. Um, where an augmented reality, where we're having your phone in an AR app or like an even translate app or having, you know, whether it's Google Glass or whatever augmented reality headset is going to promise, is going to be able to do, that feels like the babblefish of the future. I don't think real-time translation, text to audio-wise, is going to work well. Yeah, maybe not. This is definitely a weird case because it turns out the delivery she was trying to make of four pizzas from her truck was to a gentleman that was in Austin, Texas. Oh, no. 
And so that took a little while to figure out that I was like, I've never heard of that street. Where are you located, sir? Austin, Texas. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a little while. It's a crank call? Like, no. Where, like, what happened? It's somehow like Uber Eats got like the GPS all mixed up. <laughs> so I go upstairs and I tell my wife. At two this, in the morning? At two in the morning. And she goes, so where are the pizzas? <laughs> you could have offered just to bought the pizzas to solve that problem. I, I want to know how did she respond to you sticking a phone in her face and like motioning to talk into it? It definitely was awkward at first, but then she figured out what was happening because like it started translating. Yeah, and she sort of you know got did she, it. Did she like it? I don't. I don't know. We okay. didn't actually talk about like right. do a full user survey at the end, but like <laughs> it was because I had the same similar experience worked. with my with one of my contractors when we did housework, mm-hmm. and uh, and he loved it. It was for us. It was like a real moment. I'll unmute before I play the music. All right, I think there are two big technology stories that we got to talk about this week. I know we have a lot of things that we have listed in our show notes, but first of all, let's talk about Tesla. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to go back to the Emoji movie. Okay, Tesla. All right. Uh, so last Friday, I don't know, on schedule, right, right, making the schedule. No, it's a little behind schedule. Elon unveiled the first production Model Threes mm-hmm. uh, in Fremont. Uh, we weren't there. Actually, the, a, a tested uh, reader generously reached out and offered um, to get us a ticket to this event. But oh wow! I, I, I was busy, had to decline. And that Model X event that I went to a couple years ago. Uh, was just such it left me such a bad taste in my mouth. So, uh, but I was I'm still very excited for the product. But they had about 30 model uh, model threes out. They delivered the first ones to Tesla employees who were owners one to five, I believe. Um, and then several announcements were made. So this is also the lifting of the embargo for people reviewers who had gotten access to the model threes to, to drive them. And Lots of new info, both in terms of the technology and also for the pricing for people who are on this pre-order list who've already put down $1,000, people in this room included, for a Model 3. Before we get to some of the like professional reactions, what was your just gut reaction just seeing like the car come out and, and what you saw? Did it meet what you expected? Totally. So this did not feel like... The, the fear, I think, um, that I had with... In, in retrospect, it didn't make a lot of sense, was that uh, the Model S was their premium car, right? So like a, a hundred, about a hundred thousand dollar car, a little less, but like if you want all the options, uh, it's a very high end car that isn't really attainable by most people, right? And so this is supposed to be the the attainable version, starting at thirty five thousand dollars with the tax rebate. But the question was, was this how would they differentiate this from Model S? I think it's thirty five before the tax rebate. Oh, before the tax rebate, thirty five before the tax rebate. Um, how would this be differentiated from the Model S? Would this be their Corolla? Or would this still be considered a luxury car? And it seems like this is still going to be a Tesla, a premium car. It's almost like the the, the, crappy, the cheapest iPhone is still an iPhone, <laughs> right? This is not um, right. a, a car for the real masses. This is a car for the, the middle class. Um, and so the car looks good from a, from a car perspective. Yeah, it... It looks really good, I think, from the outside. And then the initial reviews that I've read of people who got, I don't know how much time they spent actually driving it, were that the performance of the car exceeded their expectations, which also pleased me. Um, But the downside is, 
that third, what you can't have a car that's going to be a, a basically a sports car that basically looks almost like a Porsche that really costs thirty five thousand dollars. That's that was never the reality of this. So no. it, and that's not realistic. You, you just in anyone, that shouldn't have been realistic. In well, hold on perception. now, hold on now. What do you mean by that? Go ahead. Well, meaning that if you want the car, yeah, the with the features, the high tech features, you're going to be paying a lot more. So, right, what they announced were two models. Right, a thirty-five thousand dollar entry level model, which has a range of two hundred and ten miles, and then the uh, an higher end forty-four thousand dollar model, which has a hundred more miles range, uh, with the same. They're, they're two wheel drive. They're not all wheel drive. Right. Single um, single motor cars. Uh, there may be an all wheel drive version in the future, uh, but next year they're only shipping this higher end model first. So anyone who thought they were going to be getting a $35,000 car, which, again, there were a lot of tax rebate questions of, like, you only get the tax rebate after before Tesla ships X number of cars right. total. You might not get a tax rebate if you're waiting in line for the $35,000 car. That might be much further down the line in their production pipeline because most people are going to want to pay for the upsell and get that $44,000 car. And even if you've paid $44,000, what you don't get is a bunch of options, like, if you want to have a car that's not black, that's a thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks. Oh, is black the only free option? Free option. If you want anything other than black, <laughs> it's going to be another thousand bucks. If you want like a like a like a premium trim package, which completely understand luxury cars, it's going to be like five thousand dollars. If you want like the sound package stuff like that, that's a personal preference. But if you want the promise of the future, right? Yeah, you're going to get an electric car. If you want the autopilot, the software switch, it's five thousand dollars just to turn on. The autopilot as it exists today. Yeah. Another three thousand dollars on top of that, if you want level three self-driving. If you want full self-driving full capability, driving. sort of. But that's not even the service yet. It's just the capability of. Just it. the capability, which Meaning, isn't yeah, activated exactly, at launch exactly. today. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you, the, the tone you're sort of projecting is like, wow, that's a lot of. So ups, I think upgrades. I, I think the. If the marketing is such, and this is with mo a lot of products, right? What you see on screen with all cars, like this is the upgraded model, the premium model, the the, the LX model, not just the base price, right? Yeah, you can read all about the $35,000 car that Tesla's going to use to bring back electric cars and change the world. But really, this is going to be a, a fifty dollars to $60,000 car that's more competing with your Mercedes, your Lexus, and your, your BMWs. So the, the thing I took away, and maybe this is not true, can you do those upgrades at a later time? Because I, I was wondering, like, could you buy like the $35,000 car? Um, maybe you get like a different color or whatever, and then decide a year from now, two years from now, when autopilot is in a really different situation because all of these cards have been on the road, there's a bigger data set, then you pay for the investment in that. I don't know, and I want to say yes, especially with the autopilot features, because they did say that every car would have the functionality hardware-wise. It's, it's about the software, software switch. I don't know about that, man. You think you need to buy it on launch? I don't know. I mean, I, I just assumed that certainly with, there's like the $5,000 luxury package that has the glass roof. You're not going to add that after the fact. No. Right. Um, the battery in terms of like the longer no, range? Don't. The range, I, I, I mean, the, the range yeah, you can you only buy it. that at launch. So you're yeah. just talking about specifically the autopilot? Yeah, stuff? I mean, because the autopilot, which is, I think, the expensive 
promise that I think most people were hoping for. Yeah, and by the way, I think that the Model 3 is clearly ahead of its time in every other way. Yeah. I mean, because it's it. if you look at that dashboard, you can tell it's supposed to be a self-driving car. Yeah. There's a computer screen. and that's, It is very minimal. And that's yeah. it. There's totally. A, what is it, like 14-inch computer screen? So you can... It basically has an iPad stuck to it. It will be more expensive if you don't pay up front. So it's 8000 which is the 5 plus 3, up front. If you want to upgrade it later, 10000 eh, That's not awful. I Yeah. I, I sort of take it as like, that's fine. And when you put your reservation in, you didn't put your reservation in thinking you'd have the ability to have a 300-mile range, did you? Well, no, no, we, no, we so don't know what. I mean, the, I the range like announcement I think is a is a great is a plus. When your when your number comes up, you have, I think you have the option of deferring, right, mm-hmm. until they they have the options that you want available. Yeah, so it's it's in, and also uh, not only is it increased range, but your zero to sixty speed is tuned, and that's all software again. Mm-hmm. Zero to sixty is going to be a little faster. Uh, it's not ludicrous speed, but it's. Yeah. I it's mean, gonna be a, you know, well, fast they, the base model is what zero to sixty in five seconds. Five point six. Plenty. That's plenty fast. Five point six. The point eight seconds. Worth. Um, Ryan McCaffrey t- um, asked Elon over Twitter if they were gonna have a performance model because uh, they haven't announced anything about that yet. And this would be the ludicrous mode. Yeah, it's Mike, like, Ryan McCaffrey is an old friend of ours who runs a Tesla podcast. Mm-hmm. He's a huge, unabashed Tesla fan. And uh, Elon said next year. So that, that's wow. what I supposedly will be all-wheel drive. Yeah. And we'll have all the fixings, which, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you're already over 60,000 now, that's going to be 70? Who knows? Jeez. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a big differential yeah. b- between I, the entry price and the ma- fully This is not price. something, to, I mean, in terms of premium cars, if you're talking compared to a, a BMW 3 Series car, which is what, like, the standard luxury car, that's a 30000 30 to $35,000 car. Uh, without the upgrades, again, but the Tesla stuff, it's... It's. I mean, and the fact that they've they've have uh, what's it five hundred thousand pre orders. Yeah, they're getting eighteen hundred <coughs> orders a day. But they're also saying lunch. they're also saying if everything goes according to plan, that if you order one today, you'll get it next year. So that is that's the other big news the the production ramp right. They talked about they yes they did they've made fifty so far, um, and they've they have this curve if everything according to plan, <laughs> which logistically you know we're not talking about making. 18 million iPhones. We're talking about making 500,000 cars, which is actually it's probably more complicated. Um, it's, a, it's a different type of logistic problem. They have the, the factory, the Gigafactory. Dude, Al Gore thinks that graph is nuts. That is such a ramp up. It's it's like a doubling and a doubling of the doubling in that in that short period of time. That is super non-trivial. Yes. I get that Absolutely. he has the biggest factory that's ever existed but, uh, on planet Earth. The, is yeah, it supply chain or that, is it manufacturing or is yeah. it is it labor? No, I think they've got manufacturing down. I bet that they've got that figured. So out. you think it's supply chain is I, purely a problem? The batteries? Oh, and I, I for every other part that they've have that they can't make themselves. I mean, that's what they're relying on. I mean, w- when has a manufacturing process ever gone so smoothly that? You like their projections basically had no buffer built in for mm-hmm. for any sort of failures. The game, fra- game frame manufacturing was pretty, <laughs> pretty smooth. You know, yeah, I heard stories from your your wife this weekend about the labor you put them through to peel yep. stickers off of laser laser cut panels. I had to the whole family call them in <laughs> in order to meet deadlines. Yes, and there is news today that Tesla only has enough cash on hand for three quarters too. Is that true? Yeah. What, so, for what do you mean for three quarters? 
that's how much cash they have on hand for operations for three quarters. Three I mean, quarter, but th- they have money coming in. Three quarters of, of a year? Is that what yeah, you mean? yeah. Oh, wow. And so they have money coming in. So it's like the solvency isn't an issue, but it's like they're they're not Apple that is basically more GDP than most countries kind of thing. No, that's interesting. So they really have, I mean, and this is what you would expect, but they have bet the farm on the Model 3. Yeah, they have. And I mean, it seems like a worthy bet. I, I don't want to sound cynical because I think the car looks amazing. I think 300 mile range solves almost every anxiety concern out there. Well, also the doubling of superchargers yeah. promise next year. That's a big deal. And just even, even like forget about the range for a second. We're talking about a car that's in a 30 to 40, 30 to $50,000 range. The affordability in that marketplace is so much more. The penetration they'll have in the U.S. Mar- in markets everywhere is just tremendous. I see this as a, a massive changer, but I I wonder how comfortable you are finished. Go ahead. I was just gonna say the big but is like, can they deliver on all of this? This is now we're in a situation where it, it you know, flowery talks aren't going to cut it anymore. Now it's cars on the road. They'll deliver. I bet they'll deliver. I bet it's going to be a big deal. People are going to love this car. Uh, I. I look at that dashboard, though, and I wonder how many people are going to be comfortable driving this thing. Like this pain period before it's self-driving, where you have to use this speedometer in the corner of your LCD panel rather than where you're used to seeing it below the windshield. I wonder if that's going to be a good experience or not. I I don't think opening the glove compartment using your LCD panel, which is, by the way, how you do it. That's ridiculous. Is a good idea necessarily. There's a lot of functionality that is restricted based on the fact that this is supposed to be a self-driving car. Right. I definitely don't want to park my Tesla on the street with its like 14 inch iPad screen just like sticking out either. Oh, people, somebody's gonna yeah. take it? No. No, no but no. you know what I mean. Like it is, it, it's definitely, it, it, the, the screen sticks out. It, it's very yeah. prominent in the design. Right. Yeah. And, and things that we're finding out, I mean, um, I'd love to hear from anyone who actually went on a, a test ride last week, but like the comfort of sitting in the car. Um, you know, have, have you guys have ridden in Model Xs? I've never ridden nope. in a Tesla. You know, you've never ridden in a Tesla? Done. I mean, wow, not, <laughs> undone. Let's let's get so, <laughs> let's get you in a Tesla. Um, like the seats are are really interesting. They're really thin seats, almost like like really nice airplane seats. Like cool. they're not just built into the car. Um, you know, it's like the interior design is really interesting. Uh, there's also a camera that people have noticed. Oh inside. yeah, for the driver. For the driver. Oh, front facing, like, front, like yes, driver facing. Exactly, like that. I assume is for autopilot purposes to to monitor uh, driver awareness, uh, whether they're actually looking at the road or asleep or detect eyes. I mean, that's it's going to be a necessary yeah. part of of safety. Well, they have reviewed all of their sensor data numerous times when it's come to when the cars have gotten in accidents. Right, and right. this is going to be pretty useful in terms of proving mm-hmm. what the driver was doing. Uh, the other infrastructure difference is what does it mean on the freeways when you have 500,000 self-driving cars from one company on a freeway? Like their their information's going to get better over time. There's going to be a, a network effects just for their autopilot. And how well will these cars play with the other self-driving, half-self-driving features of other cars and their behavior? Mm-hmm. Because right now they're being trained to react to human driving behavior, unexpected human driving behavior. But is more predictable machine behavior, machine driving behavior in other companies, is that going to be uh, compatible? Don't know. Um, I'm glad I'm not one of the first 50. Oh, sure. 
you feel that way about a lot of products. But did you keep your reservation? Kept my reservation. I might back out. Well, wow. you bought a, a yeah, car. Yeah, you, you have, you have, you have an all-electric all car. Electric car. And, I love, and I do like my car. I do like my car. The seats are not that comfortable, but... <clears throat> but you can only go 200 miles. I maxed it out, and I still, you know, I, st- I still paid, you know, after re- rebates with, you know, less than 40000 So it's, uh, I don't know, it's difficult. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. So I might, I might back out, although I'm going to wait until I get access to that designer and enter that. Maybe if I can find somebody to give me a ride in a Tesla. Yeah, yeah. I'll see what that feels like. No, we uh, have, yeah, we have listeners out there who who own Teslas that we'd love to maybe bring it in. The other thing is, it's like it's a foot and a half longer than the Bolt. The Bolt is significantly shorter, mm. and for my personal parking situation at home, living here in San Francisco, where small cars are so a foot is it's a long. That's a big, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, it doesn't does it self park? It doesn't self park. I think with yeah with the five thousand dollar option, it does. Oh. That's one of the things you get now. I don't trust in San Francisco. You don't have, want to have cars self-park. Oh, I, yeah, I don't know about that. If, like, Learning how to park is a rite of passage. We're yes. eliminating that? Yes. That's in people's fine. lives? That's in San Francisco, oh. uphill, one-way street, left side of the street. You got to get in before the traffic gets to you from the light turning Ooh, green behind you, need, you. That's a good amount of fear. That's a good, for a good healthy amount of fear for your personal constitution. Um, okay, the other big technology news, Bitcoin. What about it? Bitcoin has forked. What does that mean? It it's forked. It's forked. Uh, you, what you, that, that's a tech, that's a split term. Yes, it Wait. has split. What, I, huh? There is a new cryptocurrency that has split from Bitcoin. Um, that is called Bitcoin Cash. And the way this works, so it's a new, technically a new cryptocurrency, but based on the same algorithms as Bitcoin, okay. not completely from scratch. Oh. And also, it's a fork in that anyone who own Bitcoin value, that history gets merged into this new cryptocurrency. Why would you do this? Wait, but now fork implies the old still exists. The old still exists. So if you had Bitcoin, and Bitcoin, guess how much Bitcoin value is right now? $500. No, no, no. Okay, let let me just put some context. Okay, (laughs) hear the disappointment in my voice. Hear the regret and sadness in my voice. I hear it. And I'll give you the context again. Bought Bitcoin at about 600 bucks. Saw it go down to three hundred. Oh, sold a- it early this year for a little over a thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! It's clearly right? and I, 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 I should be happy. I made my couple hundred bucks back. Sorry, Norm's Bitcoin. Uh, what do you think Bitcoin is right now? I want to say it's like fifteen hundred. No, this is eighteen hundred dollar disappointment. I feel like. What is it? Wait, eighteen. It is, as of right now. $2,700. Oh, my oh, God. It reached 3000 earlier. Are you serious? There isn't enough disappointment in your voice, I, then. I can't believe that. Yeah. So <laughs> Bitcoin has tripled this year. Tripled. No, no, no. That's wrong. It, it, it has, uh, from, from its low point, a factor of 10. Um, it's split. Now, the split is interesting because unlike stock splits, it's not like your value that you own got divvied up into different things. Mm-hmm. Anyone who owned, let's say you own one Bitcoin. Before pre-split, uh-huh. you own almost three thousand dollars worth of on the market, open market Bitcoin. Right on. After the split, you still own one Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and you own one Bitcoin Cash. I do. Yes, I doubled my money. You no no, it's a different market. <laughs> you win. <laughs> That's not how things work at all. So because Bitcoin Cash, uh, which people can mine, uh, is on a separate exchange, like it is valued differently. Like it, it's easier to mine. And right now, the market price for Bitcoin Cash is about 400 bucks per coin. So you uh, got, quote-unquote, free money. 
Uh, seriously? Yeah. I, I still don't understand you. So I still have my $3,000 Bitcoin. Have, but the, the idea is that because it's split and there's more, the, the value of Bitcoin itself might self-regulate uh-huh. and, and go down because of that also. So wait a minute. There is some like crucial details here. Um, so Bitcoin partially worked because there is a big community that backed the cryptocurrency. Are Exchanges they ba- yeah. and, and, yep. It, are they backing the new cash thing? Not as well. So it's, while there is a market for it and is valued at around 400 bucks right now, it's very difficult to actually use the Bitcoin cash currently. That's not to say that it might get fine legs and it might have the infrastructure built up around it and you just got free money. Extra regret. This is this is like the the twist in the story that I wish I could be invested in financially. I'm not going to buy another Bitcoin. So we didn't answer one fundamental question. Why did they force a split? Who forced it? Uh, it the community forced it. And I and I had heard and, and uh, I apologize if I get this wrong, internet commenters, that they forced the split partially because um, the blockchain um, uh, like uh, processing took a really long time. And so now there's essentially too many Bitcoins for them to process in a reasonable amount of time. So they split the blockchain to sort of double capacity. That that doubling is probably not the right phrasing there. But to increase the capacity of transaction processing. Yep. I think that that's right. But that is nuts. Like this is like I know I've eaten all sorts of crap on this podcast before for people being like you don't believe in Bitcoin. This volatility is insane. For it's the new reality. It may be the new reality of finance. Like if you're writing a speculative fiction novel right now, you got to talk about how it's not just dollars. It's dollars, bitcoins, Bitcoin Cash, and whatever forks. There are a thousand different cryptocurrencies in the world right now of varying vol- volatilities and values. And maybe the future it's about. You know, it's about juggling all of that in your bank account. Uh, I, don't is, under, I don't understand how this works at all. It, there is actually a really good Radio Lab episode about the um, origins of some cryptocurrencies that came out just recently that I'll put in the show notes for those who are like us that are like, what is happening here? I don't get how the exchanges work because they aren't operating like a typical currency exchange. It is like the it is operating like a currency exchange of a of a country under duress because of that volatility. Yeah. Let's uh let's let's pivot to <laughs> talk about something you do understand and that's Apple products. <laughs> do I understand that either? <laughs> We're getting ever closer to the September or it's August right now. So next month uh, Apple's expected to uh, announce a new iPhone and there have been some leaks. Um, <laughs> leaks about You don't uh, say uh, about this new uh, iPhone Pro or whatever we're going to call it. Yeah. Uh, icons have been have been released. Um, so HomePod, which is still not out. I guess it's still end of this year. Yeah. Their, their speaker system. But they and, have firmware out for that. That's right, because uh, the, the speculation is that they have been, Apple has been seeding its employees to test HomePod. And they need oh, software okay. and firmware for that. Uh, something got uploaded to the public, or, and in that firmware... Um, was picked apart references to the new iPhone, uh, including um, iconography that shows the screen, and it looks like no bezel, a, no, mostly no bezel on the bottom, the left, and the right, and the top. There is a little bit of a lip for uh, the speaker and front-facing camera. Is is the anticipation? Um, 
And so that's that's uh, the latest from uh, Apple. Now they did have their earnings report, and, and oh uh, my god, this earnings report was one of the I can't fathom these numbers earning yeah. report. So I know. in in like well, I guess it was a major year with the what was this? What was the newest iPhone? Was it the seven? Seven. I mean, I guess that's a major year, although. It wasn't that different of a phone. No, you didn't no. pick it up. And everyone knows that this year's the big phone. Right. And in their crappy quarter, the, the quarter before the announcement of the new phone, uh, they had some record sales. The amount of cash Apple has is just astounding. Just it, not, not, not their market cap, not the value of their stock, but just how much cash yeah. on hand they can use to buy things. $261.5 billion. Enough to buy Tesla if they wanted to. Tesla and Ford and every other electric car maker known to man. Cash. Yeah. I think they should I think they're trying to buy the moon, guys. I think that's how the only reason to hoard this much gas is to save up to buy the moon. It's that's I, the only thing worth this much money. Carve it into an Apple logo. But some some fears. So uh if you look at some some of the growth numbers on Apple versus other phone manufacturers, especially in China, where they really wanted to have a foothold, because that's where they see a lot of their growth coming iPhone has not done so well in China. Is that true? Yeah, compared to um, some of the Chinese Android phones mm. that have come out. In terms of the growth, there's still a ton of people, don't get me wrong, yeah. using iPhones um, in China, and it's still very much a prestige product. Uh, but big news, they have, in China, taken away VPN apps from the App Store. That's a big yeah, crackdown. To comply with the Great Firewall. Huge. No surprise, really. They they created this law months ago in mm-hmm. China, and the Apple seems to. And so it was a law that said them. no VPN apps, and so Apple's quote unquote complying with the law. No VPN usage. No VPN, right on the internet. Right. In order to circumvent the Great Wall, the Great Firewall. So, to comply with that, they've taken down the apps to comply with this, but also, it's playing ball in a market that they know they they need. Um, not only not only for customer base and potential growth, but also for manufacturing. We're talking about like it's still all freaking made in those factories yeah. in China. I mean, I think yeah. If we're talking about control and censorship, I also think that there's there's it's been suggested that the momentum towards you know capitalism and open markets and freedom is too great, and that the government can't fight it for good for long. Yeah. So they'll try to in the meantime, but uh, the momentum is towards the better good. Do we feel like we've given up on the idea that Apple's going to do a TV and given up on the idea that Apple's not what? only going to make a TV, but also maybe yeah. a c- car? What's the difference between an Apple TV and an Apple TV connected to a TV? What's the difference? Uh, in terms of like the user experience or in yeah. terms of the the, U- the the potential business there? User experience. Uh, the user experience is if they made the physical screen, mm-hmm. then they switching channels, switching inputs would be... The user experience for that, the, the terrible user experience of turning on a TV mm-hmm. and pressing the and having the terrible physical remote with button, half the buttons you don't use, that would go away, I think, if they made their own physical TV. Or it could be Siri controlled, I guess. And it could potentially look better. I think TVs look generally good, but yeah. I think there's a lot of room for it to be redesigned and re imagined and uniformity most TVs look the same uniformity also in the content and the content experience so i think there's a totally a missed path by apple i'm sure at some point they're exploring what apple should have done and there's we've talked about this before is buy they should have bought netflix right they should have bought netflix years and years ago and owned the content netflix is was the natural way to supplant itunes in terms of how people are going to consume video uh in the modern age and if they had owned something like netflix 
and they if they did that and they also that would make then make a lot more sense for them to make the TVs not just the boxes to stream them because those TVs would have the best they would control the content and how the content looked on those screens mm-hmm. and we'd get mm-hmm. things like 4K HDR ubiquity much faster or at least more consistent as opposed to all the different standards right now that's that seemed like a missed hey. opportunity for for them to take advantage of. Here's the thing: people don't buy TVs that often, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that people buy Apple products oh, very often, often, unnecessarily. Yeah. So, um, you could use the HomePod and as, uh, surround speakers. Apple do- also doesn't bet on companies that lose money. Yeah. So, uh, quick side note: Netflix. There's a report uh, out in a uh, Variety. I want to say, LA uh, Times. LA Times. Uh, Netflix is. Operating at a loss of how much per year? It, Potentially, it said they're twenty billion dollars in debt right now. Whoa! Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a tenth of the Apple uh, Apple money pot. Um, that I, I, I'm sure Netflix has. I mean, they, and they've been growing. They have like a hundred million users, and it's gr- it grew twenty five percent in terms of year over year. But they're going to have to. I, I think they're going to change their model. Eventually, here's. Would you pay more for Netflix? I think that's what's going to happen. I think Netflix is p- eventually positioning themselves in a place where they can increase prices and have users be okay with that. Uh, for the amount of content you're getting right now for Netflix, that ten dollars a month you pay is a ridiculous bargain that no streaming service can compete with. Amazon can compete with it because they have this extra value add that's been their foothold into your bank account, which is the Prime subscription, which is over $100 a year now, right? And Netflix wants to get you to pay $20 a month. You know, right now, they want you to double what you invest in so that when you think of things like movies, how much do you spend on movies, like a a relatively active moviegoer? You spend more than $20 a month in movies. You're going to watch more than two movies in theaters a month if you're an active moviegoer. Uh, if they're investing in movies like Bright that we talked about last week, the Will, Will Smith movie and, and things like Okja, um, where I would have seen it in theaters and spent $20 just to watch those, $25 to watch those movie in theaters, but they are the the convenience of being able to, the, the day it's out to be a part of that water cooler talk, be part of the Twitter talk, and watch that on my Netflix account at home, that's worth spending a little more on Netflix every month. I think maybe Netflix tones it down a little bit. Like there is too much stuff on Netflix. I think they they went after a little bit too much prestige um, this past year, like comedy special every week. Yeah, um, Dave Chappelle. They, yeah, like well, that's the HBO model, right? Well, HBO's toned down from that. HBO is is quality over quantity, and, and I think and HBO Netflix also is find some middle ground there. It, also, the the big difference, obviously, is uh, the schedule. HBO, there's no incentive for HBO to pack their programming every month of the year they do like the two or three shows on that people are watching at a time with the occasional special or movie and then once game of thrones is over then they'll start promoting another series to get you on the hook week to week uh netflix just like just it's just a faucet they just it's a hose yeah i wonder maybe they need to do the hbo model for that space things out a little more yeah you know weekly releases um i don't know i would my family is so locked into netflix it's not even funny I mean, you, I'm scared, but they could charge whatever they want. And and we're talking about a family. Like it's ten dollars a month, right now. 
for a whole family to watch. We pay the fifteen because the 15? We, we want like the four K and as many devices as possible. Right. Because right. we, we all use it. What's an upper cap on what you'd pay for Netflix? Well, it's all we use. I mean, it really is the we rarely watch anything else. So I you know, twenty five dollars yeah. wow. a, a month. Twenty five which is if you It's only ten more dollars than what we're paying now. But yeah, we'd pay that, no no question. A, I mean, this is Comcast money, right? When you're, you're cable money. The mon- the the crazy bills that people were complaining about, you know, paying upwards of a hundred dollars a month for their cable bill. That's the thing. We don't do that. Right. Right. So once the shift really flips, and that's the fear that every cable, every um, every, every uh, uh, cable satellite provider is worried about right now. Once that money goes away, uh, where are people going to spend that? Do they want to spend it? Hist- historically, I think people are going to be willing to. And if Netflix can own that up, then yeah, yeah. they'll eliminate that twenty billion dollar in debt real fast. I, I wonder if Apple will come around. Will actually buy a service that does that or launch their own? Do you think they're in the business of media anymore? iTunes was a big deal, but I'm just saying, like they did it with music. You know, they used to just sell a la carte, and then they came out with a what do they call it? Apple Music or whatever the streaming mm-hmm. service is. Yeah, they bought Beats for that, and so and that's confusing. As first, like if you search for a song, you don't know if you're going to get the store, or the stream version, which you might yeah. already be paying for. But there's no reason if that's worked for them, they wouldn't do it with video too. So they tried some TV type content this year that's been really poorly received. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I don't know. Uh, it seems like they're betting on some content pieces, but it's not. It's not the heavy push that we I, know Apple. I think like them betting on content pieces would only make sense if it facilitated, if it gave them a competitive advantage in the hardware, just like iTunes for the iPod. Like and coming up with a custom for like instead of four K, some custom Apple sort of delivery. But if I don't since they're not in the TV game, and the Apple TV game is now they they're not in a position of strength in that in that um, ecosystem where they really have to work with the uh, the content providers who've wised up post iTunes and post even streaming music services like Spotify. Uh, their next play is going to be AR. Like the thing they're going to bet on is once. Everyone, every year, up, upgrades their iPhone. They're going to sell you an additional accessory that's going to be tethered to your iPhone that's going to be your AR glasses. I hope so. And I think it's going to be tethered to your iPhone is, is, is my bet. I hope the new phone, that, that's, you know, the bezel, I, you know how much I care about that? Zero. But if they have new 3D sensing AR technology, that's exciting to me. Just in the camera? Yeah. So you're, you're okay with AR being something you're holding up in your, on the phone Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I can't wait for the glasses. For the glasses. But, but to get there. Yeah, just to get there, to experiment, to do things now. The AR demos I've seen so far using existing technology are so promising. Right. That, but from what I understand from de- developers, it's still difficult. Like, it's still, the tracking isn't 100%. Right. So if they can nail that with well, better Well, incrementally sensing, improve it. Yeah. I mean, it's already compelling now, putting hot dogs on, on the side of airplane wings and on, right. on your desk. Or the measuring tape and things like that is super compelling. I mean, I think the novelty use, right? The thing that are going to make it socially acceptable are the things, like the more frivolous things, your Snapchat features and your your uh, your distortion of of um, of your reality and get, making that socially acceptable for people to hold their phones out and to look through the pain mm. of your of your uh, your phone as an AR device is going to be an essential step to getting people to be socially accepting of wearing some type of goggles. You can't make that jump from now to goggles without getting people already holding their phones out. And Pokemon Go did did that to some extent. Yeah. Uh, but with AR kit and with whatever comes out with this next iPhone, which is why I think 
their glasses are going to be like two years out. You need ARKit to evolve, the app ecosystem for that to evolve, the hardware to be more powerful enough. But once the glasses comes out, my bet is that it's going to be something that's going to be tethered to your phone because then that makes you want to upgrade a display, your glasses, every year or whatever, every other year. And then also the, the processing power locally on your phone. Like the watch. Just like the watch yeah. every other year. It's going to be an accessory, not a standalone device. They're also yeah. working on a, on a car. Don't forget about that. You think that's you think that's real? Yeah, they just there was just another article where Tim Cook said they're still making a big investment in it. They believe in AI automobiles. How does that implement? implement. Is it a car they will sell for you? To sell to you, Tesla style? Right. They I don't have a gigafactory. I can't imagine. We know if they had a gigafactory. They have tried giving so, like selling the bits and letting someone else make the hardware and it never works for them. Mm-hmm. Your your uh, iOS integration in in your cars well, that's mediocre. Your CarPlay, you're talking CarPlay. about CarPlay. It's yeah, that, but that is a situation where they have they still control like everything except the display itself. Mm. So they can't, you know, they can't tell what touch technology it is or the aspect ratio perfectly or the size of the screen. So you're right. There's some flexibility there, but they've had to do that with TVs too, in some degree. So unless they make a full car, it, I don't see them releasing like a, a dashboard replacement. Running iOS. No, I, no, I think that's going to be a car. You think it's going to be a, an actual car? I do. I don't think even Google wants to make a car. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at some of the latest designs of their self-driving car, I think they might agree. It's pretty ugly. <laughs> yeah, it's function over form. Um, all right, uh, let's jump to... Uh, oh, this is an interesting story. Um, rare finds on eBay. Okay. Uh, or or thrift stores even. Oh yeah, did you guys see this? Yeah, I didn't even know this existed. I wish Steve Lynn was here because he would have known all about this. But apparently, you know the Atari twenty six hundred, right? Sure. Did you yes. have one? Did you have one? Yeah. Okay, so that brother was, had one, but same diff. That was the original Atari. It came out in nineteen seventy seven. Yep. And wood paneling. Yeah, wood paneling had you know came with combat, and um, there was an Atari twenty seven hundred. I had no idea. Somebody found one in a thrift store in California. <laughs> for like 30 bucks, right? What was different about it? Uh, the only difference was that it had wireless controllers. And they no, were, like, they, they weren't... You have to, like, really picture a wireless controller that you have to <laughs> extend the antenna yes, out it, of. Yes, it had an old school antenna, like old cell phones, you know, where, you, like, metal, like an RC car. You know, where you... Like a walkie-talkie? Yeah, exactly, a walkie-talkie. Telescoping, exactly. aluminum, easy to bend. Oh, yeah. And then wow. 1980s, baby. Okay. And, uh... Apparently, like, the funniest thing ever is the reason that this console did not take off, they were only prototypes made, they never manufactured it, was because of these wireless controllers. The wireless controllers were not paired to the console, and they had a range of, like, several thousand feet. So if your neighbors had an Atari 2700, (laughs) and you did, then uh, you'd control their console and vice versa. And, like, there was, you know, there's player one and player two. that, That was it. Like, you had two controllers working on two different frequencies, and that was it. But that so that's funny. So the guy found it. It didn't come with the controllers. Oh, oh. did it have ports for the twenty six hundred controllers? Yeah, you could also plug in twenty six hundred controllers. Anyway, he sold it on eBay for I don't even know a handsome fee three thousand dollars. <laughs> is that is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Uh, Jeremy, when are you going to invite us over to play your new Atari twenty seven hundred? They have them at the computer museum in the Oakland. I oh. think they have maybe three of them. I think. Um, or in in, um, in Palo Alto, Cupertino. Is that where? Are you talking about the computer history? history museum? Oh, I'm talking about the video game museum. There's uh-huh. one in Oakland. Uh, anyway, it's a that's yeah National Video Game Museum. 
I don't actually don't know where that is. Anyway, that was cool. I didn't even know that existed, so I learned something. Wow. Well, I'm going to save my money for maybe that new Atari console that they that oh, they're yeah. releasing. With the wood paneling. With the wood paneling, as well as the SNES Classic, SNES Classic. Did you pre-order one? No, because uh, it wasn't a real pre-order. What do you mean? So uh, last week on Walmart, uh, people were able to pre-order the SNES Classic, and the internet lost its mind. People rushed to pre-order. Uh, sold out immediately, and then it turned out it wasn't a true pre-order, so all of them were refunded. What does that mean? Not a true pre-order. I don't think it was authorized. Like they didn't have the pricing right, or the no. like, it wasn't put into the system properly. Okay. You can't you can't just say give me money. I could say, you know, give me money, and I'll eventually deliver. You know, pre-order SNES classics from me, and I'll deliver them eventually. When is the actual pre-order supposed to go up? Like this month, sometime. It better be. We're in August right now. It's a holiday release. It's not a holiday. It's, it's pretty. It's much earlier than well, well, it's like it, next it's, month. It's, it's a holiday. It's gonna yeah. be a a, 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 a a big gifting uh, yeah. item, hot can't, item. For, can't for wait to see how they've changed it. I really want to see if they if there's better DRM or Wi-Fi. That's why I'm holding off. There's no reason. I'm not gonna want to jump into it unless I know it's significantly better and as compatible as the NES Classic. Yeah, NES Classic's great. That's right. Yeah, I don't. How many of these devices do I really want to plug into a living room TV anyway? You need HDMI switchers, you know, uh, Gary, tons of them. Gary Witta got one. You got, oh, like, he got an S like Classic? yesterday. I don't know how he did it. He got it from ThinkGeek. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't even know Final how. Final supply? Yeah. Last bits? I had a friend get one. Um, my friend that runs the Southern Fried Gaming Expo mm-hmm. in Atlanta got one because Amazon did this promotion where the, it's called Treasure Trove, I think is what it's called, where you like click on it through the app and they connect you with a local dealer for a daily like woot style daily deal and then you have to go pick it up like do you have to get there first it, you have to order it and then go pick it up oh. from like a vendor which is like that's cool but it's bizarre because it doesn't come to you you have to go yeah. to it and um the nest classic was on there yesterday or two days ago how retro hmm. the national video game museum is in frisco texas they, oh. they have the 2700 there different frisco yeah um uh, we, what was because we did talk about Apple phones. Let's talk quickly about Samsung phones. Uh, the Galaxy Note not dead, despite some uh, the, the Note phones, despite some some fire hazards and some debacles last year. But um, it is understated how big of a debacle that yeah. was. Uh, but uh, apparently there will be a Galaxy Note eight announced later this month on the twenty third, and the specs have hit some uh, some websites. Uh, this will be a waterproof phone, a massive phone with a 6.3-inch display. Uh, that's way too big. Well, that's that's their line. I mean, the, high, yeah, high, like that's, the, the note with the pen, yeah. that it's supposed to be not for pockets. It's supposed to be for, for purses and handbags and backpacks. Ooh, um, I got to get my purse. And, um, and it doesn't have as reduced bezel as I think the... Uh, the, the the Galaxy 8. The Galaxy 8, which has a really greatly reduced bezel. This one still has a pretty significant head, forehead, and uh, and chin on on the bottom. If we could never talk about small bezels again, ever, I'd be perfectly happy. It's you don't the, think it's... It's I, the tech word of 2017, Jeremy. I think Jeremy. we have lost sight of what matters if this is exciting <laughs> to us. That's all. Well, it's, it's design, right? It's user experience. Mm. I mean, it's going to matter for on the Apple side if we're talking about how this is going to replace Touch ID. Yeah, no, that's that's a question. Um, and then the camera is going to be um, two uh, 12 megapixel sensors on the the back of the phone. I think 
two cameras on back of phones is here totally to stay, both on the Android side and on the iOS side. Um, and optical zoom is, is also enabled um, on this. USB-C, of course. Uh, so that's expected to be announced August 23rd. Is optical zoom a thing on Android phones? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you have uh, optical zoom meaning, I guess, the one's going to be higher focal length. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's optical okay. zoom meaning switching between the two cameras, not an actual mechanical okay. optical zoom. There's some terrible phone, Android phone that has a mechanical zoom. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I can't uh, remember what it was. Do you still use uh, YouTube TV, Kishore? I do. I don't think I'm going to keep it. Oh. It's just like without sports, no value. And we well, are, there are in sports. the worst sports part of the sports calendar. Season. Yeah, right now. Where there's a bunch of baseball on. <laughs> Well, Ugh. especially in the Bay Area, not great baseball. Uh, you're waiting for football and basketball season, and, f- and football's dead, I heard. So <laughs> yeah, just basketball football is season. dead, yeah. People weren't happy about that statement last week, by the way. <laughs> uh, so uh, another live TV service that you may want to tap into when the, when you're thinking about reevaluating, it's maybe come from Plex. Plex no. is taking its live TV service with DVR uh, and also letting you tap into Apple TV and Android to play it there. Oh, that's cool. So that's... That's a nice little uh, feature. Plex has had some instability with me when I've used some of their st- ser- uh, services in the past, so that's why I had that initial no reaction. I love Plex in my home, um, but part of the advantage of these services is the on-the-go, and that's where I think Plex loses a little bit of its luster. Mm. Um, would you consider any of the people in this room, would you consider yourself a digital native? <laughs> uh that sounds very millennial. <laughs> I'm going to say yes, though. You consider... Oh, you looking at me? No, no, no. I'm saying, you're I'm, saying, I'm, saying I'm a digital native. Yes. Uh, no, I would not say that. Because, yeah, no. Do you think there is a... Conceptually, do you think there's a fundamental difference between how you interact with technology and someone like your sons interact with technology? Yes, I do. You know, the thing is, I grew up and I, I, no one explained it to me, right? I had to figure out the computer. I had to figure out the VCR. I had to figure out the answering machine. Nobody understood this stuff. And so I had to tinker with it and I figured this stuff out. And now I'm the person who explains it to everybody, even the next generation. So they are at a disadvantage. I think if we interviewed your son, he might have a different perception. I don't think so. He's always asking me to fix things. Mm. You know, he can't get on PlayStation Network. He, he made a purchase. It's not showing up. Dad, fix it. You know, so it's like constantly... I, and that's I, why you have your computer, your video game museum that you've built. And I, <laughs> you have them run their own tech support. Yeah, and I'm pushing back. By the way, my son said last night, Dad, can we play more of that Space Quest game? Whoa. Wow, victory. Wow. Mission accomplished. Victory. Yes. By the way, can you uh, get me some app access on my new phone? <laughs> <laughs> You're being played, Jeremy. <laughs> why are you asking if we're digital natives or not? Uh, the idea of a digital native uh, may be just a myth um, and a, a fallacy. Uh, so there's a, a story on, I guess it's on Nature, uh, saying that younger people, even though they may have learned technology differently, they're no better at multitasking and using technology. People in this room, totally just as capable of using and adapting to the new ways of technology as younger people. We may use different apps, we may not get all the same apps but there's no fundamental difference in the brain in the way that you, you learn. I think there's a familiarity level that matters, though. You know, if you are using the web and you understand how URLs work, little things, 
You know, well, th- that's like the whole point is to take that layer away from people intentionally. Mm. Yeah. Right. There are things about the internet that I grew up with that um, I that I didn't grow up with that would be super useful. I I, I never really did. Um, uh, not uh, what are those things that the, for file transfer? Let's say file transfer is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Right. The history of fi- of of file sharing and file transfer. Um, back then, you like use groups were mm-hmm. used for um, for file transfer. I never got to experience that, but would you say that someone who had to use those type of network services for file transfer and file sharing are have a better understanding of, of internet internet protocols and the way files are actually moved around than someone that uses Apple now and they don't even have to save their files? Everything is just where they are as long as they're signed on the same so account. I used Usenet a lot. Um, I grew up on like bulletin boards and all of that stuff. I don't think I understand the underlying architecture better than somebody that has some baseline experience in computer science. I might know it better than somebody who's just has that interface you're talking about, but not much better. And why does it even matter if I do? It, that's the point. It, it doesn't matter. Um, and so like the web address, I, I think people growing up and people maybe like, the web address going away because of how people browse internet through Google or browse internet through Facebook. I think that's, that's okay. I totally disagree. I think being familiar with computers is like knowing another language. And I'm not talking about programming. I'm just talking about this innate sense about what's wrong with the problem that you're having. Mm. Where do you start first? And what, what's the domino effect that things cause that could possibly be causing this? So the ideal scenario is everyone going forward for you is to, have to go through those learning hurdles and before the, earn, the, earn the, the UX. The conveniences. I mean, but like, when's the last time you had to like edit your registry for something? <laughs> like, this, this, this morning. morning. <laughs> what? That's so funny you say that. We were doing an interview and they were we had to edit our registry. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah I, that, maybe I'm wrong then. <laughs> I mean, and, and if people do, I, I guess the the pool of users also is changing. Like the the, the sample size is completely changing, right? I think net number of people who understand like things like registry and and things like. IP code, that number is going up as more people work in these fields and there are more programming jobs available, right? But also total number, they become a smaller subset of the total number of technology users just because everyone is using technologies these days. Yeah. Um, that's just... I still think we're in a transition period. Like, it's the, the transition to we don't have to know how to use computers is still happening. It'll happen. There'll just be AIs in the, in the future. And it'll just be voice interface and... Yeah. I... I think people are always going to be curious and going to want to understand if they want to pursue that, there'll always be a pocket of the internet or a part of, of, um, of tech support or forums that will let you learn about how these things are, how these things work. Power users. Yeah. 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 There'll always be higher users. Good. Yeah. Um, would you consider, a, a, I, I guess millennials and digital natives use different apps. I would not consider myself, power user in that sense because I just don't get those apps. Like, do you have Snapchat? Uh, I do, but I don't use it. No, you guys have I Instagram? Yeah, I have Instagram. How much Instagram do you use a day? Uh, not much. I look, I lurk more than I use. But I do like, I like, I, Instagram's easy to navigate. Super easy, right? Yeah. Even though I, I also have Instagram and have Snapchat, I, I lurk and maybe participate. I completely underestimated the level of interaction and engagement that people 
younger kids, millennials, quote unquote, digital natives, have with these programs? Yeah. How many? How much do you think a typical user of Instagram under the age of twenty-five uses Instagram per day? In terms of minutes, minutes, twenty. Well, I'll say in Instagram, Instagram, where you're liking photos and scrolling. I, I know that that's more popular than Twitter, so I don't know, like an hour, an hour. It, it's half an hour. Okay, which to me says that's still a lot because it's not a service you can use on your uh, web browser. It's it not, is only an is app. Right? Huh. No, you can see it on the web, but yeah, you can't kind of. use yeah, it. You can't really use it on the web. People are on their phone. Anyone under twenty-five, at least on average, thirty-two minutes per day. And those above 25, 24 minutes per day. It's not that different. It's not that different at all. It's actually, It feels like a lot. That is a lot. It is a lot of minutes. Doing what? Like Instagram stories or what? Exactly, what? I guess. Commenting on LeBron's workout videos. What's going on on that par- platform? Instagram stories has 250 million daily users. What? And it, that whole story mechanism, which started off with Snapchat, Snapchat has 166 million. Yeah. That's that's pretty get, amazing. Get out of that Snap IPO. I know. Well, We're, Snap also, uh, the rumor is that they want to buy a hover. What's you hover? know that uh, quadcopter I reviewed, the foldable one that does selfies of you that yeah. I didn't, didn't like that much? Uh, word is they may want to buy that company, which... I'm not sure why you would want to attach it to the snap spectacles. Yeah, deploy <laughs> deploy quadcopter from your snap spectacles. Take a picture of the quadcopter while it's taking a picture of you. The the thing is, like we our generation saw the precursors to Snapchat, right, and uh, Instagram. It was called well, well, like mo blogging. That's what they called it, mobile blogging, where it was photos, and all, instead of like having a blog, you would just post photos, and they called it you know photo blog or mo blog. And like Tumblr. Yeah. And and it just seemed like there were so many of those, just as there were social networks, that n- the fact that we landed on something that seems to have stuck is the surprising thing. So I don't. That's what surprised me is like why Facebook and why Instagram when it was one in a series of attempts at the same thing. The big shift in my head is something that I can't grasp really, and the fact that there is no one internet, and there isn't tens of internets. There are million. Everyone has their own internet. You know, like when we grew up, when you, when you visit a web page, mm-hmm. that was the web page. Mm-hmm. It's like same with TV. There are 10 channels. There are 50 channels with cable. When, when, you, when we grew up with the internet, there were, ex, there were dozens of web pages to, yes, millions of web pages. But what you, you saw on your computer screen was what I saw on my computer screen. We all went to the same websites. Yes. And that was the internet. Right. What's changed is... Because of the way these websites and the content is presented and curated, everyone's creating their own little pockets mm. of internet. Little echo chambers. And, and and the network effects of that mean that there's so many different, like my experience is going to be completely different than the experience of someone, even for using the same program, even if you're using the same, the, same co- the same site, the same content, it's going to be completely different than someone who's different age, different place, um, different gender, completely different. Yep. And that's something that's very difficult for me to, to comprehend hmm. because I want to think of it as being a fixed thing. Tested's fixed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're too much in the past. <laughs> but yeah. Um, moving on. Uh, there's a, a big test for a Hyperloop that just happened. Yeah. So um, we saw a test in Nevada 
they built a tube um, as a 500 meter long test tube. They depressurized it um, to the equivalent of about 200,000 feet above sea level. Uh, and using magnetic levitation, they accelerated a hyperleap cube to about 192 miles an hour at its peak before slowing down that's slowly. Enormously. 200 miles per hour. That's enormously expensive. Oh, yeah, sure. Wow. And they just, wow. But the um, but this is such an advance, right? I love the depressurizing. I don't know like how efficient like you vacuum pumps are, are going to be yeah. in order to depressurize a giant tube like this. Um, to actually have it be a, a, a place for transport. But they loaded up cameras on this. There's some beautiful shots of this thing accelerating up and, and slowing down. Uh, and then even them loading this, you know, test cube into the Hyperloop One um, chamber. Um, it's exciting. This seems crazy. Like, this doesn't seem close. No, 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 no. Self-driving cars... Uh, autopilot cars on on freeways seem closer than the Hyperloop is to being reality. But it's it's still pretty cool. Very cool. And expensive. Yeah. We got, uh, one, uh, Hyperloop or sleep car? What are you more excited to try? Hyperloop. Sleep car. Sleep car? Sleep car. Hyperloop it scares me a little bit. I was talking to my friend about the sleep car, and they were asking the same questions we all had, like, you know, how many people can fit in the car? Is it really one person per bed? And is an attendant? Like, is there a bathroom? And, and it's like, wow! If they try to cram two, if you if you meet someone, there's a chance encounter in the sleep car. You could you could join the mile I five club. The mile what? No high five. No high five. No. I don't understand what you no. mean. No interstate I five is the freeway. Oh, I five. No. I think yeah. high five. No. No. Punish us <laughs> for that joke, internet. Punish us. Because sure we'll have none of it. Um, any other bits of technology news you guys want to cover? Nope. Nope. All right. Well, then, uh, I want to thank the sponsor of this week's episode of This Is Only a Test, who lets us have these shenanigan talks um, about sleep cars, and that is Casper Mattresses. Uh, Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Supportive memory foams create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right amount of sink and just the right bounce. You can try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything because they understand the importance of truly sipping on a mattress before you commit, especially if you're going to spend over a third of your life on it. They're free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. And with over 20,000 reviews and an average a score of 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. Now, you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash test and using the offer code TEST. Terms and conditions may apply. And I'd love to try that sleep car service just to see if they're using these mattresses. time for a moment of science portland is kind of a weird place right yeah. put a bird on it they're always very avant-garde very forward so that's why naturally portland is the first place in the u.s that used CRISPR to edit human embryos <gasps> it's real it did happen now before you get um you know too excited about it what the actual experiment was 
is they took a number of embryos that were being used for IVF treatment. And a few of those embryos experienced a certain mutation that had a risk of causing sort of a, a defect, lack of a better term. And they edited out that defect using CRISPR and then put that back into sort of the IVF bundle. This actually wasn't, you know, actually done in an IVF situation that was Im impregnated into, uh, into a human being, but it was sort of a trial to see if they could edit out this mutation to make more embryos viable for IVF treatments. It kind of worked. The editing worked at the sites they expected it to, but the edits didn't always take hold uh, in the way they wanted. Uh oh, which is fine. That's actually just sort of a normal part of the research. Um, there, I think there is more sort of consternation about this than anything else. But this signals the in ine inevitable direction that this is going. Uh, Jennifer Doudna, who's you know credited as one of the first researchers to really tackle this issue um, really indicated her discomfort with this progression ahead of public conversation on this topic. So it happened in the U S it did Oregon. happen in the U S is it federally funded, put a CRISPR on it. Uh, no, I don't believe this study was federally funded um, because there's still complications about um, a federally funded research in human embryo lines. That's why I asked, um, Hennepin County is outside of Minneapolis, and right now it has a measles outbreak. No kidding. Currently, there are 48 cases when I um, uh, when I heard about it this morning. There might be more. Three of those cases have led to death of the children involved, and uh, all but two of those cases involve children under the age of 10. What's different about this is Hennepin County has a high Somali immigrant population, and almost all of these measles cases are happening in that immigrant community. Why are they more susceptible to measles? Is there something happening? These immigrant communities have been the target of anti-vaccination activists and quote-unquote educators over the past number of years. They've been going to a number of, so, of um, cultural events in that town, targeting this community, warning them about the risks of vaccinations. And researchers, um, epidemiologists in Hennepin County have pointed to that intervention, that the, this group of anti-vaxxers constantly interacting with this Somali community has led to a decline in vaccination rates among them, directly leading to this outbreak. Fuck you, anti-vaxxers in Minneapolis. That's the end point of that conversation. Children died because of this. That's fucked up. It is totally messed up. Um, and uh, while, like, I would generally be really cautious about saying, like, here's the link. Here's what it is, uh, especially in a, a case like this is that happened over many years. The words from the epidemiologists in, the, in those counties are really very aggressively forward. One of them said that these anti-vaxxers anti have exploited, quote-unquote, this community, which is, well, that is an incredibly strong word for a scientist to use to describe what's going on. And then I have a study that is my, um, that is really just basically the most misleading titled study um, of the week. Norm, there is a study 
of perceptions of Asian Americans. Oh. Ready? Yes. I'm not targeting you in this, but I am targeting you in this. And um, they Should showed- I hold a mirror to your face? Showed a number of pictures in the study uh, of different Asian Americans to a, a wide sample of, of different people, and they were asked to classify who they felt were the more American versions of these people. What were the differences? The uh, trait that sort of led to the most statistically significant, I'm la- if I'm laughing about this, is because the study is totally messed up. I'm a U.S. American flag hat. No, it was the fatter people. <laughs> led what? to a perception of those Asian Americans being wow. more quote unquote American. Well, they got that right. Yeah, all this study really did was basically play on stereotypes that being fat is an American trait. <laughs> or the other countries are malnourished and um, don't have the resources. Yeah, I don't think it's real. I think it's a fat thing with uh-huh. us. It's a totally misleading study. It's not well designed, but if you come across like this headline, it, it's just totally ridiculous. All That's right. it for this week. The VR Minute. Virtual reality this week. Okay. Um, I got to tell you, it was nice to unplug for a little bit. Yeah? Yeah. I was really glad to... Unplug un- from VR? Well, what's funny is like going to Pembroke's like entering the Oasis, but... I did not follow the VR news while I was away. You know, speaking of that, we did, uh, while we did talk a little bit about last week, this is the perfect time to get your download oh, on, on the, the, the Ready Player One trailer. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So I, as you know, I love the book, and um, the trailer got me amped up again, so I'm, I'm reading it again like the, for the fifth time. And uh, I, I like the trailer a lot. You know, there's some concern because the, the meat of it is, the, is this car race. That never happens in the book, um, and it's a, the, apparently a, the race for the copper key, and I'm okay with it. I'm expecting all kinds of concessions, concessions, adaptations, yes. tightening, be, because um, they can't re, re, reproduce the book. It's too. It would be too expensive. It would take too long. But there are aspects, and not to be super spoiler about it, but there are scenes in the trailer that are very clearly. Uh, taken from the book, the the dance yep. party they rolls up into the DeLorean, Just for like example. I it, yeah. uh, the f- um, and what are the things that you feel like they, for you, they need to get in there, like the recreation, the movie scenes? No, for me, it would be more like what you like about Game of Thrones. I want that dialogue, like I want the banter between the characters in the in the clubhouse about you know how who knows more about this stuff, who's who's the better gunter. Who you know? I want to know about the history of the characters and what the falling out between Halliday and and uh, Ogden or whatever his name was. This virtual the world building. So of, I want the world building. Okay. Yeah. So okay. I mean, I'm a little I'm concerned that it's that they've thrown in an action sequence, which in the book is not an action sequence. It's mm-hmm. like it's a Dungeons and Dragons, you know, module. But you know, I, I trust them. I trust them in, implicitly. And I guess the one thing that I walked away from was I was holding out hope. Which was fruitless. I shouldn't have held out any hope that it would be a trilogy because I think it would make a great one. It could make a great trilogy because it's, you've got three keys, mm-hmm. and every key is is just a key to a gate, which itself is the second part of the exact. Of, you include that in the trilogy too. So yeah. it would really be a trilogy of the three gates, which you know, getting a key, opening the gate, all have these adventures involved. You can't get Spielberg to invest in three movies, a trilogy. I'm kind of surprised because I thought studios only wanted trilogies. Like they Not wanted franchises. They want franchises. 
So fitting all of this into a single movie you is going to be tight. You may get what you wish for, but in the wrong way. If this becomes a massive success, they may do spin-offs into the yeah, into right. the oasis into that world and in, in, in other stories but at the end of the trailer you see them insert the crystal key which says that no it's no. all in this movie is there any part of you that is really excited about any sort of viral marketing campaign they do for this they're doing one i mean they're doing an arg it's yeah. already you know it's embedded like there's no a... but i want something crazy i want some crazy well, they are game. partnering with vive to do some type of vr thing yeah I don't care about the VR piece as much as the the actual like them setting up a really complicated long. The game. book had one, you know. Yeah. The book had a hidden game in it. Mm-hmm. The audio the the, you couldn't tell in the audio book, but in the book there were um, just like in Halliday's uh, Grail Diary, there were notches and letters. Oh, I didn't realize. And so in the printing, in the, the actual printing, printing. Book, yeah. So if you read the book and you noticed this and you put this together, you could actually do this, you know, puzzle. And people figured it uh, out way too quick. Oh. Uh, uh, so if there is something to this uh, leading up to the movie, hopefully it'll be a little more complicated. In any case, I, I think it's, it's, it looks... What did you think about the, the visual styling of the action scenes versus the real world? It's funny because like normally with CG movies, you, com- you judge it whether or not it looks realistic or not. If it's a m- cartoon, y- you have a different approach. But this, they, have, like, they can do whatever they want because it's supposed to be computer rendered. You know, it, it's, it is an alternate universe that exists in virtual reality, so it can look imaginary or fake or rendered and it does you know but i think it's it's fine i think it's fine and i I look forward to seeing more about what they what they do with that world and i'm hoping that they do also go in a little bit to the technology i like that we in the book we learn about how it, it can scan facial reactions and that's an option you can turn on or off and people you know betray their their how they're actually feeling you think that's gonna be explored in the film i hope so because i really like that i really like how how that Made my imagination I mean, run those wild. Those are things from us reality. using VR mm-hmm. are completely familiar with. Like if we had eye tracking and we wanted, like those are things that we actually will have to contend with in the not so distant future. Yeah, I think like the, this is still uh, for many people. It's still going to be like their first exposure to VR in mainstream pop culture since something like Lawnmower Man. Yeah, and so it's still going to be this like this over exaggerated version. I don't think it's going to tap into too many of those issues. I'm not saying they have to explain it. I'm just saying, like, it'd be nice if in a scene somebody had their facial expression mirrored accidentally and then they toggle the switch and it turns off just to build that reality. Because I think Ernest Klein was extremely imaginative. And we have seen uh, his trailer where he plays his VR. One thing I'll be interested to see, like, it's his room, his his, his VR in the trailer and in the. um, in the photo, we've seen his play area, right? In um, oh, you're talking about Wade Watts? Then? Yes, yeah. his yeah. Wade's p- private, his his, his sanctum. Mm-hmm. What we haven't seen is what that may look like later on if he gets his upgrade. Yeah, and what it may look like in other parts of the world, his teammates, the other gunters, when they're like what it looks like in Japan. Yeah, right? what VR is like, and that's that's what I w- I'd like to see. What the the re- I'm more interested in the real world, I guess, than in the Oasis. Well, there's that whole third act that it takes place in the real world. Yeah. You know, so I, I hope that that's not that's a long part of the book. Another reason why I wanted it to be another movie, but yeah. So fingers crossed, fingers crossed. But it Spielberg and mm. Ernest Klein gets a screenwriting credit. He's yeah. right up there with Zach Penn. So I, I, I have high hopes. And Zach Penn uh, was the one who uh, did the ET documentary, the Atari ET game documentary. He did. Yeah, I believe so. Right. Wow, did not know that. Yeah, you mean the the. The digging up of the... I, I want to say, I'm, I'm, uh-huh. I'm hoping I'm not... Um, yes, yes, absolutely, yes. Atari Game Over. Oh, right. Yeah, Zach Penn directed that. 
Oh, so wow. he is totally. I mean, Mike Michael probably knows him. Yeah, and as well uh, Ernest because they were both in that movie. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's gonna be. It's made by people who not only have the the chops to. Mm-hmm. To, I mean, Spielberg and his team have the chops to bring this to life, but also written by people who are in love with yeah. the medium and in love with... Um, How do you think the mar- the licensing works nowadays? Because I imagined that you'd have to pay people to use their licenses. But this seems like an opportunity for everyone to be in an awesome movie, so wouldn't they want to pay <laughs> to be in it? all depends on lawyers. So, for example, the close analogy was probably Wreck-It Ralph. Mm-hmm. Where yeah, a lot right. of us having Mario, yeah. having Donkey Kong, having Street Fighter in Wreck-It Ralph. I don't think Capcom was paid. I think they were asked. I think it was a handshake deal. That would make sense. And, and but like in the old days, like you'd have to you'd have to pay them in order to use their license in the movie. But now it seems like free marketing. I also difference between what type of usage. If we're talking about characters and cameos, that may be different right. than music. Music, it's way lawyers get way more involved when it's yeah. music tracks playing. Or the the last uh, Lego game, the um, Lego movie, the Batman, second Batman movie, mm-hmm. or the first Batman movie. Uh, there were all the villains in there from all the different Warner Brothers films. Well, Warner Has Brothers there films. been any yeah. commentary from Rush about how they feel about things right now? Well, they're not playing anymore, but uh, I hope that they're happy with it. I'm sure I, they I love Tom Sawyer. That when that kicked in, I started applauding. That's the perfect song. Cool. Rush plays a role in the movie. Spoilers. Well, in the book, they're going to have to cut some things. Um, so uh, a couple more things with VR. Um, and this one, next story, not maybe so VR related, but may have implications of VR. Um, have you guys heard of the auto glove? Auto glove? Auto glove. No. This is uh, a firearms accessory. So Gizmodo has a story about this company that has made a what looks like a power glove. Mm-hmm. You wear it. And it, it's not made for VR. It's made for shooting firearms. But the idea is that when you wear this, there's uh, actuators, motors on the glove that when you fire, you get to feel the sensation of firing a machine gun. So this video I'm watching is them recording it? Are they recording the movements? Of no, that is it. Actually, playing. So when you're firing a semi-auto weapon, you can actually then feel like you're firing an automatic weapon. Oh. Yeah. Um, but there are implications of this potentially beyond uh, firearms and in, in in VR, and uh, I would love to see what this happy. It could be a happy feedback device, mm-hmm. basically. And uh, I feel like it's going to be necessary. One of the re- one of the I think aggressive haptics is going to be necessary to make some games more fun. What do you mean aggressive? Like think of a, a game like um uh like a, a pistol shooting game. Um, what's uh, Den Buried? Okay. Okay. When we played Den Buried, it was fun, but I felt like it was way too easy. I mean, not only with the uh, shooting down the sight, but like there was no like the vibration on the the controller was mm-hmm. not strong enough to give me any recoil, mm-hmm. which is something you have to take into consideration when you're firing a, a real firearm. Um, and I think I would love to see a VR experience where the the the, the controller. Gives actually aggressive feedback. Yeah. Which we're going to see some of that with the Vive stuff. I mean, you already saw that with that weird hot cold device that you were talking about. That's what I was thinking would be coming first. Like, I think we'll get that kind of tactile, immediate hot or cold sensitivity. Pain? Or pain. Or pain. (laughs) I think we'll get that first. That seems more. Yeah, there's there's so many different senses, like haptic senses that are not explored yet in terms of adding adding more presence, adding more version, or even immersion or changing up gameplay. Yeah. Um, of course, if if someone has it and someone doesn't, then how do you how do you balance that? But 
I'm because it would be a disadvantage. It's it going to throw totally off your aim. Disadvantage. But then if you, so is this something that would only potentially work in a controlled environment, in a tournament environment, or like a hmm. on location environment? Yeah. Right. I would be super interested in doing an on location environment if it had better haptics, more convincing haptics than the make impractical for the home environment, but also put everyone in that experience on a level playing field. So everyone has to have haptics may that may hinder your accuracy or hinder your movement or maybe more aggressive than you anticipated, but it's that's the kind of intense experience that I, I may want in a in a virtual shooter or a virtual game. I wonder when this trajectory of actual physical haptic rumbling, you know, uh, solenoids or motors is going to intersect with our ability to tap directly into the brain and fool our brains into believing that we're just feeling those things. Well, tapping into the brain, did you see this tweet? There's a, a guy uh, at D. Uh, Marcos uh, tweeted... Um, Two days ago, he tried galvanic vestibular uh, stimulation, and there's a photo of him wearing this headset that um, apparently it's a demo of him riding a roller coaster, and it's sending signals directly in his brain, so it feels more like it feels acceleration. Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly sure how it works. I mean, it it basically uses like your electrical potential across your skin. To um to create sort of a, a electrical signal to um to this device, but I don't get how they're getting creating that that level of sensation where because he's talking about creating something that you feel it in the pit of your stomach, right? That roller co- coaster yeah. sensation. Or, and then someone else replied them saying that they tried it as well, and for them the demo was to reduce simulation sickness. Huh. So I wonder can can it work both ways? Yeah. This is something. I would love to try. The fact that anything, that every dream feels real tells me that it can all be, it's all possible. Any, like, stimulation of our brain can create any sensation. Dude, I'm looking at this picture of galvanic vestibular stimulation. This is basically, like, something out of a hospital hooked up to a VR machine. It's like a, some, and some masking tape. I'm going to put a picture in the show notes. This is nuts. Yeah. It definitely is pads with, Alligator clips clipped onto them, sci-fi, and um, and electrical signals being sent in. Yeah, I'd still want to try it. Sign me up. Sign me up. Um, and then uh, finally, one uh, bit of a sad note in the VR space. Uh, uh, Alt VR is uh, has has gone Alt, away. Alt space. Alt space. Yeah. Uh, they uh, announced that they ran out of funding and they were not able to secure a second round. Um, they had tons of users on their platform, and people were spending a lot of time in in alt space. Um, and they built like it was one of the first places where you talk about people, you heard about people in VR, uh, even before motion controllers playing board games together virtually. Yeah, and it they, was one of the first versions of the metaverse, mm-hmm. the, the real chat room where everyone made their own avatar and hung out together. Didn't they do the Reggie Watt stuff? They did as well. Yeah, yeah. that's so, that's, that's kind of sad because they were one of the real innovators. It, we've already seen what happens when a metaverse goes away. Yeah. It may not have impacted the, a ton of people, but we could definitely feel it, especially in the VR community. Um, I think that's it for uh, the VR Minute. Any other things you guys have read about, want to talk about, things you've tried, demos you've tried? There's a, there's a new 45-minute-long uh, uh, VR movie that was uh, released by... Um, uh, Hold on, name it's a it's a Japanese name Miyubi. It's uh it's a forty minute uh, VR film 
shot. It's just 360 video. That's, That's Felix not VR. And Paul. Well, don't call it VR, man. Sorry, it's a 40 minute 360 film, 360 video. Yeah. And uh, I thought they were very clever about the direction that they took, and that they told the story about you being a 80s robot that was open as a birthday present Ooh. and told for 40 minutes. Um, I think that uh, cinematically, to script something out that long and have it make sense from that perspective is difficult, and so it's a worthwhile experience to watch. Where do I watch it? Uh, it's on the Oculus Store, and I believe... Oh, it's an app. Like, you download it. Oh, yeah. Huh. yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah. It's called Miubi. Is it stereo? Uh, it is It is stereo. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Gunheart came out. You know, so we yeah. we talked about that game, what, last week in Projections? Now it's actually out, so you can go play it. It's a co-op first-person shooter. Uh, well, worth your time. Also, Archangel came out. A lot of, a lot of apps just came out. That was the game we played at um, one of the trade shows, where you're a mech, and you, you lumber through, and you you fired all these things. I think it's a gamepad game. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think maybe not. Maybe it's a pads. Anyway, yeah, it's a big... They're releasing lots of games. I There's a game called The Wizards. Never even heard about this. Just came out. Lots to try. Um, and um, that does it for the VR Minutes. Let's go to the last Testing segment. this week. Hey, what have you guys been testing? Balancing. Wow. Don't, don't spill it. I have shaky it. hands. This is not going to work. Uh, okay, so I'll tell you what. If you want to run 1980s era, uh, circa 19, early 1990s computers on a modern-day LCD monitor, it's a lot of work. It doesn't, doesn't work. Like Everyone who's doing classic computer stuff, and like not that many people do this, it, they're all using uh, emulators. DOS box. So this is outputting from an 80s, 90s era VGA port. Exactly. Uh, to a computer that only takes uh, <laughs> DVI, HDMI, H- HDMI. Even if they have a VGA input, like they still won't accept the stuff often. Because, because of... You're, you're lucky if you find one that accepts a DOS prompt because that, the, that particular mode is like 720 by 400. Which so it's is resolution and, and refresh and, rate. And refresh rate because DOS was a, a 70 hertz refresh rate. 70 hertz. So it's weird because like most monitors are only 60, at least the cheap ones. Yeah, so you have to adapt. So they have to support these monitor, these resolutions. But if you try to play the games, you're in worse trouble because those were mostly 320 by 200. Oh. No monitor. What does that look like scaled up to 4K? Well, if you do it nearest neighbor, it looks great. And if so, I've finally, with the help of my good friend, Jim Leonard. Hold on. You can't select on your monitor nearest neighbor. No, no, no. No, you're right. No. Uh, But, like, if you're right. So you depend uh, to some degree on the scaling of whatever device you have. In any case, um, I I went through three different scalers, and I finally found one that works. It's the Star Tech uh, VGA to HDMI adapter. That's the one you want, people. It's like it, they don't sell it anymore, so you got to get it on eBay. Oh. But uh, it's probably a hundred bucks or so. My good friend Jim Leonard had one. He sent it to me. It works great. You don't understand. I went through three scalers. None of them did it, and they all almost look alike. Like you think, and they have the same interface buttons. You figure it's the same thing inside, but it's not. That's the one you want, and it'll run your all your old computers if you still have them, and you want to run them on a big monitor. So now I have classic games running on a thirty-two inch monitor. And it's gorgeous. That's 
you're supposed to run that on an old CRT that flickers. Yeah, like 12 with, inch. Uh, that people huddle over his shoulders and look in and see at the squint and you can see the scan lines. I know. That's the experience you want to give your, your I, you know, children. I, I hate those old monitors. They're so heavy. They're low res. I mean, they're small. So I'm, I'm, this is like what makes it interesting for me is that I can play Wing Commander at 32 inches. It's not because you don't want to have, you know, stretch it. You got to stick to four by three. But still, it's wonderful. And I got it working. That's what I've been testing. All right. Kishore, anything on uh, your end? I finally got a camera before I went to London. I got the um, A6000. Sony. And I'm, I've been using that in different modes and just been experimenting with a lot of its video capabilities right now. I know that that camera has been out forever, but this is my first mirrorless camera ever. Oh, fantastic. Uh, what Did you use the stock lens that came with it? I've been mostly using the stock lens, but I also have um, the 55 to 120, right? Or whatever that number is. The, the zoom. The digital zoom. I have the, the zoom. Electronic one. zoom. Yeah. Got it. That's very cool. Uh, we've been futzing around the office with fog machines. Really? Um, we we did a, a, some some photo shoots yesterday, and we borrowed Adam's fog machine. And he has a crazy awesome industrial fog machine that he Old uses school one. for uh, for for brain candy. Um, and uh, we got the it was awesome because the one we had at the our, our office here was like one you could buy on Amazon like a cheap party fog machine yeah that, which does not nearly have the strength well how's it different it just outputs like it like flow it's is constant it's almost constant really and uh, it does take like you know ten minutes uh, to warm up uh, but it can fill a room that the, the the patterns you get out of it hmm. like are, are wonderful does it use a glycol like same material, same same. So that means the heater fluid. in there is a lot better. Yes, yeah. We should do something with lasers. With yeah, that. yeah. Uh, and then uh, this past weekend, when I was um, helping uh, Danica babysit uh, <laughs> for your child, um, I uh, spent that afternoon um, building the Tamaxian globe that you helped me laser cut. Oh, you fixed that. You finished that. Uh, yes. Oh, good. Um, and you cut that with your Glowforge. Uh huh. So I, I don't. I, I'll show you a picture, but the the holes that I have. So this is a this is a globe, a twenty sided globe, um, that that's all triangular panels uh, that you uh, can hook together, and the axes, the, the the points that they connect on, are just three point three D three D printed pieces. Uh, it looks great, um, but it's all bolted together yeah. uh, with some with some hex bolts, and. Uh, the holes, the cut holes for that were misaligned. I noticed that they yeah. were they were in the source file. Oh, they were in the source file. Okay, yeah. so this wasn't this was all just source file problem. Um, I found a way around it, but it okay. ended up looking great. Yeah, cool. people have. Uh, I tweeted a picture of it, and people were asking about it. Um, and they make some. It's super easy for me to laser cut those panels, or you to laser cut the pa- panels, and we have a laser cutter here, and the three print some. And I made make some kits to bring to designer con or, or wherever we are at next if people want to want to buy them. How do you display it? Uh, it's just so I was thinking about that. There is a nice flat edge that you can just sit on. Sure. But I could also take one of those axes and just invert it with a balloon operation and create a stand. Hmm. And then I can put. Uh, it's right now just sitting on my coffee table. At home. It's a, it is a world globe. It is a world. It'd be globe. fun to make it rotate. You know, put it on a proper globe. Ah. Thing. You could spin yeah. it. Yeah, lots of fun ideas. Um, we have a lot of things going on the site uh, right now. Uh, we posted earlier this week for our members a totally unauthorized commentary of the movie Alien from 1979. It was Simone's very first time watching 
the film. We have it on camera. That's great. And um, she, we all thoroughly enjoyed it. Adam jumped in and, and sat through with us and, and provided commentary on the film. So you need to provide your own copy of the film, right? Yes. You bring your own commentary, uh, copy of the film. How's it sync up? Uh, we do have uh, parts of the film, images of it that are off screen, on, hmm. like, on screen, but off, off uh, in the background that you can match up. We do also give a, a auto, um, an audio audible sync mark in the beginning for the uh, 20th Century Fox. We sing the 20th Century Fox <laughs> song. <laughs> That's a good idea. Okay. Along with you. I like that. So you can hear the ba-ba-da-da part. Um, and then uh, we have another one-day build coming up this week, so you can uh, look forward to that later today, actually, this morning on Thursday, uh, and the rest of our Comic-Con footage going up. Lots of cool stuff on the site. Um, and do we have an outro this week? Yep, I'm sure we do. All right, well, <laughs> while you take that up, I have one last story. I was over at my friend's place over the weekend, and I saw he's a big fan of Star Trek Voyager, and I saw on his shelf he had a Star Trek Voyager model. And I said, oh, that looks like a really nice model. Where'd you get that? And it turns out that he bought it 10 years ago and built it, and it was made by Bandai. So you know the model kits, the Gundam model kits and the Star Wars model kits? Bandai actually made some Star Trek ones. And so I went on an eBay deep dive <laughs> and found some Star Trek Bandai model kits that have lighting kits inside them. What? And so we may build those nice. in the future. You know, wow. we still have that Star Trek VCR game to play. Yes. That's it. I found in my garage the other day. That would be fun. Someone needs a VC- someone needs to bring a I have VCR. a VCR. All right. That would be fun. That might be How does that work? How do we fit that into tested? Well, we can't show the video. Well, yeah, we can. It's on YouTube. We can totally show the video. No one's going to come after us. Maybe have people load If it's on YouTube, you can load up the video on YouTube. And sync to play it. CBS still holds the copyright for that. They're not going to find us. <laughs> We've already said it on the podcast. <laughs> All right, here, who is this outro from? Will D. Hi there, I didn't see you. That's it. I think we can do a, a, another rev of that um, of your disc. Oh, he's, he's criticizing your, your fan, fan art. art. That was amazing. Little Beastie Boys. Wow. I like it. Uh, you can find the source file for that outro if you just sur- sur- search This Is Only a Test outro. It's on our forums. Or, and then create a new one. Or Beastie Boys on YouTube. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. See ya. See ya. Bye.